Could be jam. Could be um, something from a mince pie. I don't know, but it's, it's here. I'm tempted to lick it and see what it is. I won't. You never know. You never know the sort of people that use these studios. I believe this is the same studio Roberto uses. Could be anything. Could be anything. Good morning. It's Monday. It's just gone six o'clock. Hope you had a good weekend. And I know, listen, I always start these shows with me whinging about my house. I had a terrible weekend. I had a migraine all weekend. Imagine that. I was looking forward to playing with the kids, to watching a bit of telly, doing some reading, a bit of work. No! <laughs> I had a migraine all weekend. And I was just popping pills like there was no tomorrow. Anyway, doesn't matter because on the show this morning, lots and lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Including... Mid-Beds MP Nadine Dorries is to face the Bush Tucker trial. <laughs> yeah, I've just said that out loud. How do you think she came a- across on I'm a Celebrity last night? I did love that line from Ant and Dec. They're very good, aren't they, Ant and Dec? Yes, they, I know they presented red and black. We can forgive them that, because they are very funny. The huge fire off the M1 in Hemel. Have you seen it? I drove past it on the way in. It's amazing. It's the world's biggest bonfire. If it's affected you, if you live near it, if you're maybe one of the firefighters that's been dealing with it, could you give us a call? Our reporter, Justin Daly, will be near the scene later on to explain what's happening. And the UK Singles Chart is celebrating its 60th birthday. What was the first ever single you bought? I have a box of singles here. There you go, that's, that's, that's a record. You can't really hear it's a record. I'm going to play a record later, a proper 7-inch 45. There are young people going, huh? Wait... Why is the man saying, why is the old man saying numbers, Grandpa? Well, I'm going to play a record and it's going to sound wonderful and I'm genuinely very excited. I think I know how to work the record player here. I've pretty much got it uh, queued up. If you want to get in touch, I'd love you to get in touch this morning. Lots of ways. Go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Put everything up there that we're talking about so you can have a look. You can text in 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or, and this is the best way, isn't it? Let's be honest, give us a phone call. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, I didn't see this last night. It, it's, on, it's on past my bedtime. I thought I'd taped it so I could watch a bit this morning. I hadn't. I hadn't. I taped Dragons then. So I know all about the lady who invented the thing that raises toilets. It'll be funny, they've been around for a long time, love. You didn't invent that. Uh, but I, I, I didn't see much of uh, Nadine Doris. I've, I saw a bit this morning, so I've caught up. But did you watch it? Mid-beds MP Nadine Doris on I'm a Celebrity last night. Well, here's a, here's a little catch-up with what happened. Well, when someone asked me, would you go into the jungle with snakes and rats, I thought, that's Westminster, I work there. So it didn't seem that big a deal, to be honest. You've seen the programme. Yeah, they sent me a DVD. I know they think I'm quite feisty, a bit naughty, because, you know, I don't always do and say what I'm supposed to do and say. And I described the Prime Minister, David Cameron, and the Chancellor, George Osborne, as a pair of arrogant posh boys. Truth be known, I don't really know what I'm letting myself in for. But there isn't anything anyone can say to me, or any situation I can be put in, that is going to be any more uncomfortable than any I've already been through. How hard can it be? How hard can it be? Uh, has she seen this show before? Well, apparently she has. They sent her a DVD, apparently. Oh, yeah. But I think I must have had Downton Abbey on it. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. pretty hard. It's pretty hard. Seriously, though, Nadine's appearance on the show has caused a lot of controversy. There's already been questions asked in Parliament, plus a statement from the Prime Minister. And if you're unhappy about it, we recommend you contact your local MP. 
unless you live in the constituency of Mid Bedfordshire, then you're you're pretty knackered because uh, she's here, she's down there in the jungle. So. <laughs> it's a good line, isn't it? Order. It, it's a good line. Well, she's back in the news this morning. Um, she said she's going to donate her MP's salary to charity while she appears on the show. Interested to know what you think about that. Does that seem appropriate? She's also angered organisers of the Shefford Remembrance Service after agreeing to lay a wreath in the service, but leaving to take part in the reality show. Her daughter, who is tweeting on her behalf, says differently. Well, Paul, Paul Scoynes is the BBC Three Counties political reporter, and he was woken up early by my producer this morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, Good morning, Paul. <laughs> morning Ian. Uh, what, what can you tell us about the Remembrance Service that she was due to attend? Well, this was on the front page of the Sunday Mirror yesterday. Uh, it said, Tory Nadine, insult to war heroes, was the headline. And apparently she was supposed to have uh, uh, have attended a Remembrance Day uh, parade in, in Shefford, uh, one of the sort of main towns in her constituency, and she has done already for the past four years, apparently, according to the paper, uh, and has been involved in it in some way in, in for, for the last seven years. She'd agreed to do it months ago, uh, but the organisers say they... they Royal British Legion representative said that they'd had no word from her uh, and that they then enlisted a local councillor to step in. They said they were very disappointed, they were let down. The mayor of Shefford, who I think you're talking to later, said she was. Uh, they were appalled and she's uh, she shamed the Remembrance Day, uh, shunned the Re- Remembrance Day service in favour of a celebrity show, was what they said. Now, according to her, her Twitter timeline, which, as you say, has been monitored and, uh, and updated by her daughter, Cassie, uh, she she did apparently call them uh, and and tell them in advance that something was going to happen. Um, there's also been, uh, you know, that lots of uh, the, the parliamentary party have been upset that she didn't tell anybody. There's also a, a, a blog as well uh, that says that she had let people know. So perhaps perhaps she's getting her ammunition in sort of early, if you like, before she gets the chance to come back and, and explain herself. Paul, we've heard that her MP's salary is um, going to charity. Do we, do we know exactly where that's going and how much that will be? How much that will be? Well, her MP salary will probably be somewhere in the region of about £5,000 for the month. Uh, what it on the Conservative Home blog, where Nadine blogs quite a bit, uh, it says that she will be donating her parliamentary salary for the period she's away to children's charities in her constituency and it says as well, despite some reports, she insists she did inform the Whips office, as, as, uh, as we say. So we understand that money is going to uh, to charity, the public money, if you like. However, she will be keeping the £40,000 uh, she's entitled to claim as, as, as a contestant in that programme. Now, Paul, as uh, our political uh, reporter and you do an Excellent job. Can you tell me what happened in the jungle last night? Well, Ian, uh, gosh, it was slightly exciting, I thought. Um, <laughs> she's in a <laughs> group that... Well, I'd, I'd, I'd say of all of the reality shows, one of celebrities, the one I, I do sort of watch without too much trepidation. Um, she's been put in a group. They've split the teams. So all the celebrities were sort of dumped on an island and, and they've split the teams. Uh, she's in with the former Doctor Who, Colin Baker, Eric Bristow. Um, can, I get, a can, I, can I just stop you there? Isn't it wonderful hearing Paul Scoynes with his wonderful, meaty, serious voice discussing what's happening on a reality show? This, this should be his gig. I think we found his true calling. Carry on, please, Paul. <laughs> and some bloke called Hugo from Made in Chelsea, um, which I haven't seen. And uh, it was interesting, it was Hugo that picked up on the public sort of 
anger, frustration, if you like, at Nadine Dorries doing this. He said, uh, if she were my MP, I'd expect her to be at work. Uh, and they did confront it quite early on in the camp when they were sort of uh, settled in and talking about uh, about their lives. They did talk about it. However, the, the, the plan, and I'm reading from her blog here, she said, I may have to eat a kangaroo's, you know, uh, what's it. And, uh, but be, I be more specific, Paul. Do you want me to be more specific here? I can't be more specific. I, I, I don't know what you mean by kangaroos. What's it? Well, let's let, let's say gentleman's parts in that case. Um, <laughs> she 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 may have to do that, but she may also have to get to talk about twenty literally twenty week limits for abortions. She said, "I may have to sleep with rats, but I may also get the chance to big up Boris while I'm away at it." She's very much playing up on this naughty schoolgirl image. She says in the top of the blog that uh, that she's not a she's anti politics. She said in the uh, in the introduction when she was uh, interviewed, she said, "I'm I'm you know I'm not a being I'm not a big." Uh, supporter of the government so I think she's kind of playing up on this line anyway they, they did talk a little bit about politics but not certainly as much as she'd have liked I'm sure Paul Scoynes listen we shall let you go there because there's a slight echo on the line we've been wondering how to report on I'm a Celebrity we've got the Strictly Kids and we're wondering well, how do we report on I'm a Celebrity I think we found it we get Paul Scoynes the Three Counties political reporter to give us an update every day wasn't that wonderful his serious voice talking about kangaroos gentlemen's parts what a joy that was Paul Scoyne saying kangaroos uh, gentlemen's parts is going to be my new ringtone, I think. <laughs> Wonderful. What a cracking start to the show. Thank you, Paul. Uh, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. I'm going to play a record later on. I'm dead excited. If I can get the turntable to work. I think I can. I think I know how to do it. It's been a long time. 08459 455 555. What did you make of Nadine Doris? Has she changed your opinion? Later on, we'll hear from the Mayor of Shefford and a councillor for Central Bedfordshire to get their take on her decision to be in the show. The 70s Album Show. BBC. No, 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 no. It's not the 70s Album Show, for goodness sake. What, 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 no, 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 no. This is what it is. Across Thank you. Heads, hearts and bones. Here we go. This Calm down. This is Ian Lee. Thank you. On BBC Three Counties Radio. Just everybody calm down, okay? For, for anyone who's confused, it's definitely not this. The 70s album. It's not that, okay? Just, just to clarify that. Uh, the, the fire on the M1, if you've seen it, uh, if it's affected you, I'd love to hear from you this morning. 08459 555. Or you can text like Josh has, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Just past the fire next to the M1, it's huge. can feel the heat as you drive past. Absolutely amazing sight. It's going to take a long time to put it out. It is, am- it is amazing. I don't, you know, I don't mean that in, in any sensations way. You, I've never seen anything quite like it. Well, our fire correspondent, Justin Dealey, is out and about. Justin, where, where exactly are you going? And, and, and uh, tell me more about this fire. Well, I'm going to make some officers at Apps Pond Lane in St Albans, which is where this fire is. It's a fire at an old recycling centre. Um, apparently it's a pile of wood which has been on fire. I saw it last night. I was driving up the M1 at about 6.15 around Junction 8. A, a bit like yourself. I have never seen anything like this. Isn't it? It's incredible, isn't it? It is unbelievable. The fire is still raging this morning. The signs are still on the motorway to warn you about smoke. We believe, if reports are true, that this fire will take days to put out. Uh, we've got crews from right the way across beds, hearts and bucks that are working on this. We're going to be live with those crews before 
before seven o'clock this morning, but I have to say, I have not seen a fire like this since Bunsfield. It is quite incredible. At this moment in time, traffic on the M1 is moving, but because people haven't seen anything like this before, yeah. come rush hour, people may be looking and slowing down. So clearly, we're going to be keeping across this right the way throughout there the There will be a lot of rubbernecking, and all it takes, I would imagine, is just a, a swift change of, of direction of wind, and then there's going to be smoke across the M1, isn't yeah, there? Absolutely. You, you certainly presume that. As I say, um, the warning signs are up, and I think it's our job this morning to, to tell people, A, what's going on, but B, to warn them not to slow down, because last night traffic was at a standstill. There was no accident there. It was just people slowing down to see this fire, which was absolutely incredible. What a sight it is. It is still raging this morning. You can see it for miles around. And Justin, I don't know if you know this yet, or maybe you'll find this out later on, but it, it, I've heard it, it's just wood. There's no chemicals. There's nothing particularly to be afraid of in, in terms of explosions or anything. That's absolutely true. Right. Um, th- th- there was two fires yesterday in St Albans. There was one in Smallford, and this fire we're talking about here in Pond Lane. Uh, we can tell you right now, the fire is not toxic, and it's not in a residential okay. area. So it's not a case of there being hundreds of houses around it. That's not the case. But as I say, we'll find out all the details before 7 o'clock. Thank you, Justin. If you've uh, seen it, if it affects... I mean, I drove up the M1, and I knew it was going to be there, but it is an amazing sight. They're not going to put that out this week, I wouldn't have thought. How do you put... Can we get someone to tell us, how do you put out a fire like that? What do, what do you do? You can't just spray it with water. It's massive. 08459 555 555. Oh, this is nice. Bit of the Beatles. I think that was their second album, Bit of the Beatles. It's the last note that does it in this song. Listen to the last note. Here it comes. It's hard days night, isn't it? I think. There we go. Right. Uh, now, research commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio shows a majority of people in beds, hearts and bucks do not intend to vote for their upcoming police and crime commissioner. That's despite an increase in the amount of awareness of the elections. Out of those questions by students from the University of Bedfordshire, 57% of people said they didn't plan to vote in the election on Thursday. In the run-up to the elections, we'll be looking at what issues affect you. This morning, we're looking at antisocial behaviour. There were over 140,000 recorded incidents across the Beds, Hearts and Thames Valley forces in the last year. In a police authority report last month, Bedfordshire police were found to have made little progress tackling antisocial behaviour. Sophie Solaria has gone to one street in Luton that's had a number of problems. I'm at the footpath running between Montrose Avenue and Carlton Crescent in Luton. It's a long path, approximately 400 metres, and the houses either side of it makes it very easy for gangs to congregate. It's daylight now and no one is here, however it's easy to imagine just how intimidating it would be to walk down this path after dark. The area is known to have suffered from prolonged and persistent antisocial behaviour for a number of years now. I asked the nearby residents how it's affected their lives. You hear a lot of swearing, a lot of people just hanging around there, and you just don't want to hazard the chance of going down there. So you never enter into that pathway? I go down there now, not myself, especially not on the dark night, because it's just some place that you might fear for your own safety. And once my uh, little sister, she was in, uh, outside in the garden, they chucked a glass bottle, and yeah. She nearly got... Yeah. hurt by a piece of glass yeah sir these are your children have yeah. do you worry for them yes really because always the people stay there as one two yeah. o'clock Sometimes in night can be up to like two o'clock late yeah. do you ever walk down the alley after dark 
We no, don't, no, because we know it's no. not safe. It has been quite horrendous. You know, they kick in the fences, they are abusive, but we don't do anything more because, you know, we don't know what was going to happen to our properties. Young kids, their language is very, very abusing language they're using for each other, not for us, which is disturbing for kids. My wife is sick. She is a long-term patient. She can't sleep. They're coming even at night. You've obviously got small children. How do you protect them from this? We obviously have to keep the, uh, an eye on them. They don't come out. Even my li- little one, he's asking me, Dad, when can we move to the new house? And he says, because of the people outside, they will kill us. Now, a dispersal order has been put in place by Luton Borough Council to tackle the antisocial behaviour. Something that Councillor Nassim Abu, the community safety executive at Luton Borough Council, says should help the area. What we plan to do is um, deliver some leaflets in the area, trying to show people that, you know, because there was a problem there, we're actually doing something about it. So the dispersal order will mean that when neighbours have problems with the youths by Montrose Path, mm-hmm. they can phone this helpline mm-hmm. and the police will come immediately. Yes, and if they are underage, then the police or the services can get involved. And have dispersal orders worked in the past? They have worked in the past, so that's why we're giving it to see how it goes for six months. The thing is, it's not really a good time to actually put it in, because in the summertime there's more congregation of views, in the, in the wintertime it's not that much, but something needed to be done. The dispersal order has been granted for six months, but do the residents think it will work? I think this will help, but the mainly what I've understood is that the children wondering here, their parents don't know what their children are doing. Oh, I think it'd be absolutely fantastic. You know, if, if they're not there, it makes our lives a lot nicer. So let's hope it works. Yeah, let's hope so, yes. I'm not sure, I mean, you might be able to remove one youth, but they still keep coming back. That's our reporter, Sophie Solaria, out and about in Luton. On Thursday, you can vote for your local police and crime commissioner. Um, the details of all the candidates are on our website. We'll also be bringing you full coverage of the results when they're counted on Friday here on BBC Three Counties Radio. And later on, we'll be finding out how antisocial behaviour is being handled in Buckinghamshire. It's 60 years to go off on a complete tangent since I think the UK charts started. We'll be speaking to someone who's got every single UK number one Every single, where on earth do they keep them? How many are there? Uh, we're asking for your first ever single. I'm going to play my first single, actual proper vinyl. It's here. Look, here it is. That's it. It's not... Right, OK, a little disclaimer. It's not the original copy, because that's scratched to whatever. And when I say it's my first single, it's the first single I was given. It's not the first single I bought. The first single I bought was Ryan, Parry, uh, Ryan Paris' La Dolce Vita. <laughs> you won't know what it is. It's an awful Europop song. But this is the first single I was given, and we'll play it a bit later on if I can work it out to play the record player. Uh, I want to know your first record, please. 08459 555. Uh, Philip in Whitchurch is texting in. My first single, oh my goodness, was Glory Glory Man United by the 83 Manchester United Football Club FA Cup squad. Do they still do that, football teams? Do they still make records? They should do, because they're so much fun. So much fun. Can I just say, you, mu- you must follow Paul Scoynes on Twitter, at Paul Scoynes. He's on fire this morning. He's, he's embarrassed that I put him on the spot to um, uh, describe what Denis, uh, uh, Nadine Doris might be eating. Um, and he's, he's just tweeted, ah, hence on, I shall say she was dining Outback style, though that could actually be worse. Thank you, Paul. Right, let's get the news and sport now with Catherine. And that's your latest news and sport. More from me at seven o'clock. Oh, do, do some more news. Well, what do you want me to tell just you? Just do another bit of news. Go on. 
Oh, Suchi and Sweeper coming to Buckinghamshire. Well, Thank- not quite, just the rights. Thanks very much. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on oh, BBC Three Counties Radio. <laughs> I just realised I was very close to playing the 70s album show jingle yet again. But I'm glad we managed. That's, that's the great thing about Catherine. We can always squeeze a little bit more news out of her. It's like squeezing a sponge. There's always a little drop more in there. And we got it out. Exciting stuff for Sooty and Sweep coming to this area. Uh, in the next half hour or so, a huge fire near the junction. Uh, eight of the M1 this morning. Our reporter, Justin Dealey, is going to be out there with all the latest news. If it's affected you, if you live near it, if you've seen it, can you give us an update? This is one of those stories where it's great we've got Justin out there, but... We kind of need your eyes and your ears as well to let us know how it's affecting you. 08459 455 555. And also, the first single. What was it that you bought? This week, the UK Singles Chart will celebrate its 60th birthday. I'm going to play a record live on the radio. The Overtones, Gambling Man. I've never been a gambling man. I've never had Apparently, they're, they're, they're the children of the original members of The Undertones. I didn't know that. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Want your update on that fire by the M1, please. Also, your opinions on this. Did you watch I'm a Celebrity last night? If you did, did it change your opinion of Nadine Doris at all? Did you go from thinking she was a silly old sausage to going, oh, actually, fair play, fair play to her? Well, Midbeds MP Nadine Doris says she's going to donate her MP's salary to charity while she appears on the show. The plan is to give money to children's charities, and it was revealed on a Conservative Home website column. She's also angered organisers of the Shefford Remembrance Service after agreeing to lay a wreath in the service, but leaving to take part in the reality show. I'm joined now by TV critic Toby L. Morning, Toby. Morning, there. Now, I didn't see it last night. It was on too late for me. I thought <laughs> I'd taped it, yeah. but I hadn't, so I watched Dragon's Den this morning instead. Right. Uh, how do you think Nadine came across? Well, I mean, uh, I think she was uh, always set to take part in whatever challenge was going to be announced at the end of the show. Um, I think I'd love to know how many members of Parliament have dialed a number on I'm a Celebrity for the first time in their careers. Mm. Um, She, I mean, it was fine. I mean, it it wasn't exactly wall-to-wall politics. I mean, the the opportunity to to discuss politics, I think, was pretty much kiboshed when Eric Bristow said, uh, he said he liked David Cameron. And uh, there were three things his dad said not to talk about, and that was, uh, and two of them were politics and religion. So, <laughs> I think any opportunity there was was nixed pretty rapidly. What was the, what was the third what was the third thing that his, his dad um, told him not to talk about? I, I think he said children. I think that was the third thing. He you said. don't talk about children. I'm not. I'm not entirely sure what uh, it was. It was a bit garbled. I think that's what he said. Anyway, so but politics, religion, the classic big two there. Because um, I, I watched a little bit this morning when I got yeah. in, and uh, the little bit I saw, she seemed quite personable and quite down-to-earth and seemed all right. Well, I mean, I, I think she had a couple of home comforts in one that they, she, they dressed her in blue, so I think that, that was a nice touch. She, she certainly felt at home there. She wasn't forced to wear red. Why do you think she's um, already up to do a Bush Tucker trial, Toby? Uh, because I think, I think the amount of publicity that surrounded, that surrounds her inclusion, the fact that uh, she is a serving MP, I think people have probably just lashed onto that immediately and thought, well, if you're going to be there... You might as well actually provide some form of entertainment for us. So she's up against um, Rosie Webster off of uh, Coronation Street, Helen Flanagan, who I think was, if, if she walked into a room would scream if she sort of walked past a mirror. She's incredibly jumpy. So uh, 
I think the pair of the pair of them are bound to provide some uh, some entertainment value, definitely. Will Nadine be aware of what's going on at home? Uh, I don't. I don't think she'll be sort of fed up to date <laughs> news of exactly what's happening. Um, but you do wonder if she goes into the Bush Telegraph if they'll ever if they'll ever mention it when asked how things are panning out at home. But um, I, I, I doubt she's receiving. I doubt she's smuggled in a phone and is getting constant Twitter updates. Uh, and, and Toby, if, I know it's episode one. Who's mm. lo- who's looking strong so far? <laughs> oh, Brian Connolly's looking quite strong. Yeah. Um, uh, as long as he doesn't start, you know, hit, doesn't produce a puppet and start hitting it, I think, I think he'll probably stand a good chance of doing quite well. Um, and, I, I, well, I, Rosie, I mean, the thing is, Helen, Helen Flanagan is, is, is a good, is a good individual to have in there. She is so jumpy. She is screaming at everything. The thought of something walking across her while she's sleeping is driving her, driving her insane. So I think we're in for a, I mean, turn the volume down over the next few couple of weeks, because otherwise you might blow your speakers with her screaming. Uh, and uh, Robson, Linda Robson, was she um, the bird of a feather? Was she yeah. any good? Yeah, no, very personable. Again, very personable, and uh, came across quite level-headed as well. So you need people like that in yeah. there because otherwise, you th- I think you just have a collection of individuals who just spend their entire time jumping at the sight of their own shadows. So she, she, she's kind of like fulfilling that grandmother kind of almost sort of more uh, maternal role that they like to have. They like to have someone in there who can provide that sort of uh, stability. Toby Elt, thank you very much indeed. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, we're talking all morning uh, about the fire that's happening. So just off Junction 7, <coughs> excuse me, of the M1. I drove past it this morning. It, it looked incredible. I mean, it's an amazing sight. Rob is on the line now. Morning, Rob. Oh, Rob, are you there? Yeah, fine. Yeah. No, hello, Rob. You, when did you see the fire? Uh, I saw it at uh, 1.30 this morning. The whole lot was ablaze. Um, I, I drove past the flyover that sort of looks over it. Yeah. Um, and there was smoke everywhere, and literally the whole lot was just on fire. Um, and the road below, you can see there was uh, police lights flashing, so the police were already aware of it. Um, so I didn't call the, the fire brigade or anything. So, But, yeah, the whole lot looked like it was about to go. Well, I saw I saw a, a picture of it on, uh, yesterday at about half past six. So they're obviously not- notified sort of yesterday evening. But I was surprised because I drove up the M1 and at about quarter to five this morning, it was it, uh, uh, it's huge, isn't it, Rob? Have you ever seen anything like oh, it? Yeah, well, what so you'll say it started yesterday then? Yeah, it was. Uh, I saw a tweet. I think about half past six, six o'clock, something like that. That that, that had a picture of it. Oh, right, OK. Well, obviously, I saw it seven hours later, and the whole yeah. lot looked, looked pretty fresh, to be honest, like like it had just been started. Um, so I presume it's not something they've got under control. I know, I know on a regular day, they normally have sprinklers going to keep it all damp and wet yeah. um, to, to prevent it catching fire, but obviously... That's not really done the job. You just you just wonder. It, it's, if you haven't seen it, go on the, the web. We'll put a picture on the Facebook page. Uh, you just wonder how on earth they're even going to start to get control of it. Yeah, um, I, uh, yeah, short of sprinkling sort of sand on it. Um, I, I don't know. I suppose they're just going to have to let it burn out. I presume. I don't think it's near any houses, though, is it? No, but I think I think it's safe in that respect. Rob, Rob, to go off on a complete tangent, and I'm going to shoot this at you from the hip. What was the first record you ever bought? Um, and it can be embarrassing. They generally are the first ones. We're only children when we buy these things. Oh, 
gosh, I'm not too sure. I think it was Saturday night by Wigfield. <laughs> there you go, I, you see? I know, I know, amazing, right? I like the way your head's... I, I think it may have... You know ex- You know it was yeah, Saturday it, night it by was, Wigfield. <laughs> Rob, thank you very much indeed. You see, the first record we buy, because we think we're so... Well, it could be at any age, 6, 7, 8, 12. We think we're so worldly and so wise, because we've got some money in our pockets. Uh, I bought my first record in Boots. Boots used to sell records, yeah. Ryan Paris, La Dolce Vita. If you've got it, it's a stinky Europop song. The, the one I'm going to play today, which I'm claiming is my first record, is the first record I was given. It's, it's rewriting history a little bit. But uh, 08459 455 555. Master in High Wickham has texted in. My first record was Jimmy Young's Unchained Melody. The Jimmy Young, the radio presenter. Jimmy, Jimmy Young, you said the Legal Eagle on. He had records out. Wow. 81333, start your text 3CR, and 08459 455 555. First records, Nadine Doris, and that incredible fire just off the M1. Would love to know how that's affecting you this morning. Morning, Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, this is a huge story. Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue say they've received a lot of calls about a fire, excuse me, which can be seen burning from the M1 in the Hemel Hempstead area. They say it's a blaze and a recycling centre. A 20-foot high pile of wood is burning, and is expected to do so for several more days, maybe even a week. Well, BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey is there. Justin, tell us exactly where you are and what's going on. Ian, it's quite a sight. Um, saw it last night. Hasn't really changed much um, in those hours. I'm on Abspon Lane in St Albans, which is by Junction 8 of the M1 motorway. Uh, the fire is still raging. Joining me live here in our radio car is Group Commander Paul Hardy. Paul, welcome to the programme. First of all, when was the last time you worked on a fire like this? Because it is just enormous, isn't it? Yeah, hi, good morning. Um, well, obviously, the biggest fire in Hertfordshire was Puntsville, which obviously takes um, a lot of beating. This is nowhere near on that sort of scale, but incidentally, yesterday, simultaneous to this fire, we did also have a, an eight-pump fire, which, you know, had something like 70 firefighters just a few miles from here in Smallford, uh, in St Albans. So, um, fortunately, these aren't sort of common, these types of fires, you know, and size in, in Hertfordshire. Um, this is not significant for us in the amount of resources, but it is significant um, due to the effects on the infrastructure for the country and, you know, and the county yeah. affecting motorways. Um, the power grid's down at the moment. Um, uh, national grid have had to uh, take down the 400,000 volt, um, had to switch that off the overhead power lines because um, the fire was um, affecting uh, the cable. So that's been closed as a precaution. So. Okay. There are some significant uh, factors and complications with this fire which make it a little bit unusual. I know you're getting loads of calls about this. When did this fire start and when do you hope to put this fire out? Okay, well, uh, over the last few days we've had a number of calls to this site and it's fairly common because this is a a recycling plant which contains about 20,000 tonnes of recycled uh, timber which... um, they uh, convert to wood chip, which then goes to power generation plants and also um, goes to the manufacture of uh, chipboard. Mm. So uh, these sort of sites, by their very nature, often have, due to the exothermic reaction and build-up of heat, um, it's quite regular to have small outbreaks of fire, uh, which are usually contained on site. So somewhere like this, we do tend to come quite a few times, times a year. Um, this fire, we, we got the call one minute past midnight Saturday night, so the early hours of Sunday morning we were here. Um, we've had, since then, about four or five uh, pumping appliances, so sort of 20 to 30 firefighters on site throughout our whole period, plus yeah. the other 
um, appropriate agencies have been here as well. So we're looking here at days before you put this out, because I'm looking across now, never quite seen anything like this, apart from Buntsfield, as you mentioned as well. Um, those flames are probably, what, 30 foot high right now, 30, 40 foot? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we estimate there's about 10,000 tonnes that's now fully involved in fire. Um, the difficulty for us, you know, it's not just easy in a case of applying a lot of water. The difficulty is that this is a very, very deep-seated fire. So by just applying water to the top of the fire, basically evaporates and goes away. And um, the way to tackle these fires is basically to either allow it to burn out or start pulling it apart, um, let the air and the oxygen get to it, um, and do it in a controlled burn method. Um, however, we've got... You know, another number of complications on this site, one of them being there's quite poor water supplies, so um, that, okay. that's given us some difficulty. I've got to hand back to the studio in just a second. Uh, we are going to talk to you a bit later on. Your message will be to motorists, slow down. We can see the signs here. We're right above the, uh, the M1 Junction 8. It says smoke, slow down. That would be your advice. Part of this road here going to St Albans, that's closed as well. A few idiots removing the cones and still driving down here. But I think the key question this morning has got to be, these fumes, just to confirm, they are not toxic fumes, are they? Well, the Environment Agency are on site and they're doing sampling. They're, they'll be doing some further sampling today. Um, all, all smoke is toxic, but this is um, on the, the lesser scale of that because it's sort of wood chip that's burning. Yeah. Um, the, the smoke plume is at a fairly low level, um, and it's, it's not a very uh, densely populated area, which is in our favour. Um, so we would advise, certainly the motorists on, on the M1, this is literally about 100 yards from the M1, to heed the advice on the overhead gantries. Please try not to be looking left or right. Mm. Keep your eyes on the road and concentrate. Um, that's our advice. Um, the A414, which was the M10, is now shut. That's as a precaution because of the overhead power lines. Okay. We'll leave it there for the time being. Paul, really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. There you go. Joining us live from our radio car here, Group Commander Paul Hardy from Hearts Fire and Rescue. I will be going live onto the site after 7 o'clock this morning, Ian, but um, again, the advice there is slow down. It's right next to the M1 motorway mm. around Junction 8. We're looking at about 100 yards. I'll take some photographs and yeah, put those onto do. the Facebook site because this fire thankfully nobody's been injured here but but it is an absolutely incredible site but please if you're on the motorway please take note of those signs do slow down around Junction 8 Justin Dilly thank you very much indeed there you go 08459 455 555 if that's affected you now this week the UK singles chart will celebrate its 60th birthday the charts were first published in the New Musical Express on November the 14th 1952 the list was the brainchild of the enemy's advertising manager Percy Dickens. He asked 20 record stores around London for a list of their 10 best-selling songs and then collated the responses. The first to reach number one it was this. Here in my heart I just They don't make them like that anymore. Which is maybe a good thing. Uh, that was American singer Al Martino. My nan used to like him, Here in My Heart. But perhaps no one has more of a fascination and appreciation of the UK singles chart than Ray Spiller from Basildon. Ray has collected, get this, every single number one record since the charts began. Ray, where do you keep them all? Well, they're kept all over the place because I do use them from time to time. I now make a living out of all the number one records. How many have you got? Uh, There's 1,215 up till last night. Blimey. Is there, to be honest, is that all? I thought there would have been more. No, there isn't. That's all there is. 1,215. I, I mean, in, in the 1950s, there was only 94 records that made it to number one. Right. And, and do, you, do they get played? Do you play them? 
I play them in the, in, in the CD form when I entertain the shows, etc. Yeah. When did you start collecting them, Ray? This was started in the mid-1990s and took some of the reason about five years to get them all. With the very last one to get was a lady called Lita Rosa in 1953. And why did you start? I, I can see people getting the records of their favourite group or, or maybe, you know, records from a specific decade. But why, why did you start collecting number ones? Well, it just it, be, it started off as just a, a more of a hobby, but then it became an obsession. Once you started getting sort of a dozen or so, you wanted to race. And before I knew where I was, I was searching all over the place to get them. And the charts, sixty old this week, sixty years old this week. Do they, do they still have the kind of kudos? Now we haven't got things like Top of the Pops and, and stuff like that. Mm. Are they still as important as they used to be? Well, not really, no, because it's easier now to have a number one record than it was in the 50s and 60s. I mean, in those days, you would have to sell sort of 70, 80, 90,000 copies, whereas nowadays you can do 24,000 and get a number one record, so oh. it's not quite the same. Ray, do you remember the days when records would sell a million copies? Oh, happy days. Oh, they'd <laughs> sell a million. Sometimes they'd sell a million before they'd even been released. That's right, yeah, people aren't Freddie and the Dreamers. Remember Freddie and the Dreamers? <laughs> Unfortunately, I do remember Freddie and the... Is Freddie still with us, or has Freddie passed away? No, Freddie's passed away now. He's oh. no longer with us oh, anymore. Okay, well, that, that, um, uh, your, your favourite and your least favourite in the collection? Best and worst? Uh, well, the, 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 my personal favourite would be something like uh, Roy Orbison, Pretty Woman. Yeah. I'm a great fan of Roy Orbison. But then you get some of the ridiculous records, people like sort of Mr Blobby or Benny, that, yeah. Benny Hill and things like oh, that. Oh, er yeah. Ernie's a cracking record. Record, though. No, it's if you're a milkman. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna right, right. I'm gonna play my what is supposedly my first ever record. It was what was given to me. It wasn't what I bought, but it's uh, the Monkeys. I'm a believer. That was a number one, wasn't it? That's right. Yeah. 1968. Absolutely. He's good. It was 67. But we won't fall oh. out over a year, Ray. Listen, thank you very much, Ray, and I appreciate your time. Lovely. All the best, the Cheers. There we go. Ray Spiller's got all of them. Now I'm gonna try and play a record here. It, now listen, I've had technical instructions on how to do this. It might be a little bit quiet because I can't boost it, but I'm gonna have a go. So, I'm going to start it. This should work. If it doesn't... Is that playing? Uh, oh, it's too fast. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Hang on a minute. Let's have a go. Let's try this. Here we go. There we go. This is a record. You might need to turn your radio up a little bit. There we go. Right, I'll shut up. Oh, then I saw her face. Oh, come on. I wish we could play records every day. This is something... Physical about it. Here's a secret, uh, dear listener. We don't even play CDs anymore. It's all on a computer. I just hit a button that's marked go. Where's the skill in that? A monkey could do that. Oh, I love it. On the Facebook page, Dobbs has, uh, <laughs> he said what his first record is. Oh, my computer's frozen. Just when I wanted to go to it. Oh, here it is. My first single was Biggie Smalls' Juicy. Could you play that for me, please? No. That's not going to happen. Right, a little bit later than normal. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you for joining us. Uh, lots to talk about and lots that I know you'll want to have your say on. I'll give the contact details in a bit, OK? But things coming up in the next hour include Mid-Beds MP, Angers organisers of the Shefford Remembrance Service and she's to face the first Bush Tucker trial in I'm a, Ce a Celebrity. How do you think Nadine Doris came across last night? If you saw it, what do you reckon? I thought she seemed quite personable, to be honest. Came over quite well, quite down to earth. What did you think? A Bedford man has been fined £200 for dropping a cigarette butt. Excessive? 
or a just punishment? And our reporter, Justin Dealey, is at the scene of a huge fire off the M1 in Hemel. We'll bring you all the latest news on that. If it's affected you in any way, if you live near it, get in touch. Now, the best ways to get in touch are, you can go to the Facebook page, and lots of you have already, facebook.com forward slash bbc3cr. Uh, you can text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or you can give us a call, 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Javain uh, has posted on the Facebook page regarding um, Nadine Doris. Heard on the news this morning, she intends to give her MP's salary to a children's charity. Like that makes it acceptable. How much does she make a month as an MP? And how much does she earn from I'm a celebrity? If I took a month off without informing the people who pay me, I'd lose my salary and my job. By the way, Nadine and I both work for the government. Well, there you go. What do you think about that? Oh, wait, four, five, nine, four, double, five, five, double, five. Did you watch it last night? Did you see her on there? Nadine faced her own political Bush Tucker trial from Westminster before she got anywhere near the jungle. And uh, Ant and Deck thought they'd better remind her about it. There's a heavyweight champion, an ex-Doctor Who, a crafty cockney, and, of course, the woman everyone's talking about, Nadine Dorries MP, a lady who's in the jungle, on the news, and definitely off David Cameron's Christmas card list. Incidentally, good evening, Prime Minister. Uh, the uh, phone numbers for the first Bush Trucker trial are coming up very shortly. <laughs> Which is just as well, because she was voted by the public to take part in the, the Bush... Uh, oh, sorry, but the Mid-Beds MP says she can handle anything. I'm getting ahead of myself. Truth be known, I don't really know what I'm letting myself in for. But there isn't anything anyone can say to me, or any situation I can be put in, that is going to be any more uncomfortable than any I've already been through. How hard can it be? Yeah, right. Which is just as well, because she was voted by the public to take part in the first Bush Tucker trial. It's between Nadine and Hugo. The public have decided the person they want to see face bug burial is... Nadine. Oh, Nadine. That's okay, I kind of expected Nadine. it. Nadine, <laughs> get yourself ready, and we'll see you across the bridge yeah. when the bush to a Expect here, right? more of those as well, love. Bug burial. Well, Ant and Deck have a suggestion on what you can do if you are upset about Nadine being in the jungle. Nadine's appearance on the show has caused a lot of controversy. There's already been questions asked in Parliament, plus a statement from the Prime Minister. And if you're unhappy about it, we recommend you contact your local MP. Unless you live in the constituency of Mid Bedfordshire, then you're you're pretty knackered because uh, she's here, she's down there in the jungle. So, <laughs> don't know what to do, really. <laughs> order, order. Uh, I'm a celebrity. Get me out of Eclipse, courtesy of ITV One. Well, Nadine Doris has angered organisers of the Shefford Remembrance Service after agreeing to lay a wreath, but leaving to take part in the show. She had accepted an invitation to lay a wreath during yesterday's service, uh, service but organisers only found out she wouldn't be coming when they read about it in the newspaper. Uh, I'm joined now by uh, Paul Mackin. He's the Mayor of Shefford. Good morning, Paul. Uh, good morning, Ian. And also Dr Rita Egan, Lib Dem councillor on Central Bedfordshire Council. Good morning, Rita. Uh, good morning. Uh, now, Paul, to you first. Nadine Doris's daughter has said that her mum arranged for someone to lay the wreath on her behalf and told organisers uh, weeks ago that she wouldn't be able to attend. Uh, yes, that's what she's saying. Uh, it's certainly not what the organisers of the uh, Remembrance uh, event uh, re- recall. Um, they, they found out uh, that she wasn't coming uh, by the press uh, when all this uh, furore started. 
so they uh, they didn't know that she wasn't going to be there to that she never said to them according to them that she wasn't going to turn up to lay the wreath no that's right she may well have uh, told one or two of her, her, her party faithful but she certainly never told anybody else uh, you know in, in, in the British Legion or in the community you were at the service yesterday Paul how did it go yes it was it was excellent it, it's, a, it's a very big uh, gathering in Shefford every year uh, we have uh, some nearby military bases and uh, and people do feel a great deal of, um, of, of sympathy for the troops and uh, they want to show their their respect and that's what it's all about is respect and you think that nadine perhaps wasn't showing respect no i don't think so i think she's uh, she's been pretty disrespectful to all of her constituents uh, over the whole thing i mean personally she's achieved what her, her goal is and that's uh, um, fame or notoriety whatever you want to call it i mean two, two weeks ago who, who knew who nadine doris was um, now, just about everybody in the country knows, so she's, she's achieved that, but I think at the expense of, um, uh, of, of her constituents and uh, I think probably the trust that they would put in her. Dr Egan, what do you make of Nadine Doris going into the jungle? We've got the mayor there saying that she's shown a lack of respect. I think there's an awful lot of hypocrisy around complaining about Nadine Doris and um, going into the jungle. Um, I, 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 I simply can't believe the way that people have been going, um, attacking her. And the reason for this is as follows. The Times did a study in the summer of, uh, of the MPs who earned who did second jobs and earned more than more than ten more than um, ten thousand pounds? Do you know I have the figures in front of me here? There were in fact sixty-eight MPs who did earn more than ten thousand pounds. But do they a year. do they go away for a month and are completely uncontactable? No, 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 it's worse than that. It's worse than that. Go on. Actually, there were ten MPs who earned more than one hundred thousand pounds yeah. a year. But do which they go? Means that they weren't on the job no. either. But do and they be- go away for for a whole month and are completely uh, uncontactable? Worse, Once worse, you're in the jungle, you're uncontactable. Worse, go worse. On, tell me. They were on the job at all half the time because actually if you look at the amount Gordon Brown earned a million oh, nearly a million pounds but he was contactable though wasn't he it was. I mean, Nadine Dice will be contactable when she comes out. This is the when other thing. When she comes out, but she could be yeah, in the jungle for three weeks. This is the other thing. Yeah. If the idea that people think that MPs do all of the casework in their constituency is laughable. It's simply not the case. Every MP in the country has a constituency office, and they have an office um, down in Westminster, and they have people that do their work for them in any case. Ministers are away for a lot, great lengths of time. There are people who are not on the job in the Conservative Party. My point is this. This is a bit of a witch hunt, in my view, because she is not part of that rich club of MPs who come from middle class and posh homes. She comes from a working class family in Liverpool, and they don't like her because she's not part of their club. What do you think about her um, saying that she would attend the wreath laying service at the weekend and, and not bothering to tell people she wasn't going to go? Had, I, I'm sure that if she had actually let people know that she was thinking of going, there would have been there would be many, many, many people who would have said that she shouldn't be going. So I suspect that she decided she was just going to go and then live with the consequences afterwards. But what about Look, but what about things like? I mean, Paul is obviously very upset. Paul is the mayor well, of Sheffield. There are other things that she's not going to be going to in the next three or but, four but, weeks. But, but some people would say that that, that things like this, like. Uh, a, a wreath-laying service on Remembrance Sunday that she has agreed to go to. Mm-hmm. These she, might, she might have been ill. Yeah, but she wasn't ill. 
she know, bunked but, off. But she, she, but she, but, but Rita, she wasn't ill. You can't use that as an excuse. I just think Paul, that Paul, people are. Paul. I just think people are getting just Rita, far, too, Rita. too upset. I know you are. Calm people, down. The, thing, the thing about it is that Nadine Doris never really comes into the community very much at all. We, as a town council, have contacted her on several occasions to ask for assistance or advice, and we, we, if we're lucky, we get the the, the, the general handout letter that her, her secretary sends out. We never ever see Nadine. Her office is five hundred yards, less than five hundred yards from our council chamber. Paul, tell Rita how you feel and the people feel about her not attending the service on Sunday. Well, they, they feel deeply affronted. They really do. I mean, Nadine is missing a whole load of other things as well. There's this police commissioner's uh, uh, election that's coming up that's been foisted on us by her government. Uh, she should be here uh, supporting the candidates that the government have put forward and, and the, the eventual lucky or unlucky person that gets voted into the position. She, she's missing a lot of, uh, of government things that, uh, that she should be doing. It, it just is not on. If she wants to do this sort of thing and go and mix with, a, with, a, with as I said, a, a, somebody else, a bunch of Z-listers, she should order to go and do it in a recess time. I That's why they have recess time. I think you're completely missing my point. That if you look at the if you look at the number of people in both the Labour Party and Rita, the Conservative we're not talking about the other party. We're speaking. have part-time jobs that are we never are... down there. Never down there. They're earning piles of money. Rita, and, you, and all they say is Rita, act, well, it's completely ridiculous to have Rita, a go at the No, it's not. It's not a matter of earning money, uh, Rita. It's a matter of being there for your they're uh, constituents. There. They're not there. You, let me just tell you. you I, I think you, have, you need to read the study that the Times did. Jeffrey Cox, four hundred and fifty thousand. it's about being available to your constituents. Okay, so We've got three or four okay, people okay, in town okay. that I spoke to on Saturday that have been desperate to get hold of Nadine to give, her, give them assistance with their personal problems okay, or problems think, with the society, think, and she's got no okay, contact with okay, them at all. Nobody has been back to them at all, and they feel badly let down. Okay, she's think, been badly advised Paul, to go Paul, on this. I want Rita to have a say. Rita, go on. Paul, but the point is fairness. If you think that it is, is wrong that you are not spending sufficient time with your constituency and doing the job that you are paid for, what do you make of this? This is Jeffrey Cox. No, Rita, says, I don't want to talk no, about... No, just, no, no, you no, can't. No, you can't. I'm not going to allow you. I'm not going to allow you because you're talking about facts and figures about people and I don't know those stories, so I'm not going to let well, you say you those. I think you should read the report. No. We, the, the people of Midbeds, they've elected her... She needs to be visible in mid-beds, doesn't she? Not, well, she not said, in Australia. She said in the jungle last night that she only had four days off this year. Right, So she's, but she's going to just take a, a, a so month off. she? She's well, going to no, take... She certainly wasn't in central put bed. Put it this way, put it this way. I see Nadine Doris when I go out and about. I see her at events, so I can't accept that she's never actually showing up to events that she's supposed to be at, because I see her at them. OK, listen, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much. Here's Dr Rita Egan was the last voice you heard there. Lib Dem councillor on Central Beds Council. Uh, and before that, Paul Mackin, the Mayor of Shefford. Strong opinions? What do you think? Is Rita right? That, hey, listen, everyone else is doing it, then why shouldn't the Dean be allowed to do it? Or do you agree with Paul, the Mayor there, that, 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 that she should be visible, that she's letting down her constituents? 08459 455555. When arguments like that are going on, I feel I should pop out, go and get a cup of tea or something. There's nothing for me to do. Lots on the show this morning. Um, also focusing on this fire that's taking place just off Junction 7 of the M1. If you've driven up or down the M1 today, uh, you'll have seen it. You can't miss it. 
It's huge, absolutely huge. Justin Dealey is, uh, Junction 8, sorry. Ju- uh, Justin Dealey is uh, out and about there, and we'll speak to him later on and, f- and find out what the latest is. If it's affected you in any way, uh, or if you've got a view on it, could you give us a call? 08459 555. Uh, let's go to Phil. Good morning, Phil. Good morning. Uh, Phil, have you, have you spotted the fire? Yeah, yesterday, actually. Um, my nine-year-old son plays uh, rugby for Datchworth Rugby Club, and um, we were all playing down in Enfield, and um, coming back up the A1M, around about one o'clock, I guess it was, yesterday, um, and the column of black smoke, I mean, it remi- reminded me of Bunsfield, actually, as well, as the uh, fireman was saying earlier. You saw it as early as one yesterday? Yeah, one o'clock oh, yesterday. I wonder what time it started. If anyone knows what time it started, can you give us a call? And let's, uh, I, 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 I mean... <sighs> It's an amazing sight, isn't it? It's just so Incredible. huge. Incredible, yeah. I mean, um, my lad was, was amazed by it. And when we got home, we were trying to work out, you know, what it was, because it was so big, it, it, it must have been in the news. But we couldn't see anything on the internet about it until we looked on YouTube. Mm. Um, and if you search in YouTube for St. Albans Fire, great. There's like a two-minute clip there that somebody posted on there, mm. um, which uh, really goes up close to it. You can see the sort of stacks of... Um, pallets, they look like wooden pallets yeah. that are on fire. Uh, Phil, listen, thank you for that. 08459 455 555. Mick's from Dunstable. Morning, Mick. Morning. Uh, you've seen the fire as well. Yeah, I've seen it, and uh, to be honest, I'm surprised it's only just started today, because it was, uh, I know it's an old cliche, but it was an accident waiting to happen. Really? Yeah, what? yeah, I can't believe that the local authorities let that, let someone build a bonfire over high-voltage power cable as well, because there's two national grid power cables, uh, like, you know, the uh, gantries yeah. that go past there as well, and they're right over the top how, of how it. How close are the power cables to the fire? Very. They go over it. I should think the uh, national grid have had to switch it off. Wow, it really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, and it do- you're right, it does look like the world's biggest bonfire. It, that's what. That's exactly what it is. It is the world's biggest bonfire, and I've been watching it for a couple of years now. I drive past in a lorry, and I sit there and watch it, and it makes my stomach turn thinking, that will catch fire. Right. And who, who let them build that bonfire with those power cables there, people's houses there? And, then, you know, once it's all gone and finished, the other thing is, it can't be a very good business plan to pile wood that high. I'd rather have the wood in, sell it, and then make money instead of piling in so high. I'm not a businessman, but it just doesn't seem right to me. And it's such a waste of good wood, which could go for, you know, other purposes. Mick, listen, thank you for that. I, I, I love that. Such a bloke's attitude. It's such a waste of good wood. It is. Mick, uh, well, Justin Dealey is looking into this, apparently, now, about why it was allowed um, to get so high. Interesting, Mick from Dunstable there. Drives past it all the time. We suspected it was a fire waiting to happen. Um, it's, uh, to be honest, I'd never, I, I drive past it every day. I, I'd never particularly noticed it. It's one of those things you don't really look at and, 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 until it's ablaze. Um, but Justin Dealey, our reporter, is out and about there, and we'll get the latest from him, uh, in a little bit. 08459 455 555. Thank you, Mick, uh, for that. Now, research commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio shows a majority of people in beds, hearts and bucks do not intend to vote for their upcoming police and crime commissioner. That's despite an increase in the amount of awareness of the elections. Out of those questions, by, questioned by students from the University of Bedfordshire, 57% of people said they didn't plan to vote in the election on Thursday. Well, in the run-up to the elections, we'll be looking at what issues affect you. This morning, we're looking at antisocial behaviour. 
There were over 140,000 recorded incidents across the Beds, Hearts and Thames Valley forces in the last year. In a police authority report last month, Bedfordshire police were found to have made little progress tackling anti-social behaviour. Well, we sent Sophie Solaria out on her bike to follow some bobbies around their beat in Hartford. I'm PC Sarah Smith. I work at Hartford Neighbourhood Team and have been on neighbourhoods for nine years. And my name's um, Peter Simon Hughes. Um, I cover Sill Farm and I have been for three years. And so today you're taking me out on a bike. Is this a new thing, these bicycles? There have been sporadic use of bikes in Hertfordshire, um, but now um, it's been rolled out across the county and all the neighbourhood teams are going to have them. We do as much as we can, foot patrol and cycle patrol around the town, and back to sort of your old-fashioned policing, if you like. Right, so we've just pulled up here by a rather dark and scary underpass. Can you explain to me what this is? This is um, part of the National Cycle Route. Um, It looks a bit scary this end, but it's actually a really nice ride. It takes you uh, um, via the river towpath um, to our neighbouring town of Ware. Um, and historically, and we have had some problems on the towpath and with drug dealing and such like, um, and the use of these bikes has really helped to um, sort of stamp that out because we're able to get to areas we would never have previously been able to get to. Are you taking me down there now? We are, especially to this underpass because I want to inspect the graffiti because um, I'm doing a graffiti project at the moment um, and uh, graffiti has been popping up here so I want to see if there's any extra. We're under the underpass and Sarah, I bet you're a bit dismayed to see that there is actually some graffiti on both sides of the wall. Was this here last time you checked? Some of it was. I think that tag there is new. Um, I wouldn't say we have a particularly bad problem with um, graffiti in Hartford, but it is something that um, the Council of Informing is on the rise, so um, we're putting a project in place. Okay, so we've just pulled over in Hartford uh, Town Centre because it was just a little bit too wet to continue to ride. So all this work that you're doing, yet there is still antisocial behaviour in Hertfordshire. What are your longer-term projects to deal with that? I think um, there's antisocial behaviour everywhere in, um, in Hertfordshire. We, we do have a relatively low level of antisocial behaviour, but um, I think it's just getting down to sort of the basics and, and educating um, young people, finding things for them to do and using diversionary tactics to, to stop antisocial behaviour happening um, and we currently have Operation Panther um, which is aimed at antisocial behaviour um, and it's basically tackling the cause of the problem writing home to the parents when they first come to notice to us before it escalates and, and they become a problem Well there we go, it's our reporter Sophie Solaria out and about 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if any of that affects you Across beds, hearts and bucks this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio uh, we've got some texts um, about records. Uh, I, played a, a, I played a proper record today. It was exciting. Yes, I got the speed wrong. I didn't know these record players had 78s on there. Wonderful. Um, Cynthia and I, Wickham. I was dancing away to the Monkeys record at the bus stop. Kept me warm. Good for you. Uh, and the first record text, we're asking, what is your first record? Got, got a few of them, actually. Uh, my first single was actually two. One was Slade, Goodbye to Jame. That's a good song. Slade were a great band. If Slade hadn't worn such silly clothes, they would be looked on as fondly as, uh, and as seriously as Led Zeppelin. But because they dressed like idiots, uh, they, they became a joke. But if you listen to some of their early records, man, they rock. And the other was The Mixtures, the pushbike song from Leslie. Um, Mr. Werewolf, first record I bought when I was five for my older brother's birthday, Leo Sayer, I Won't Let the Show Go On. Uh, Helen and Milton Keynes, first, my first record that got to number one was Eye of the Tiger by Survivor. That's a great... Mount, 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 mount. Uh, and uh, Marcia says, Jimmy Young was a singer in the 50s. He also had a hit with the man from Laramie. Well, there you go, you see. Uh, on the subject of Nadine Dorries, yes, she's a subject now. Joe is in Letchworth. Morning, Joe. 
Good morning, Ian. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Did you watch the show last night? I did, but first things first. First record, Billy Joe, we didn't, we didn't start the fire. Good, hang on a minute. How old are you? I thought you were in your 50s. Ian, I've told you this before. I'm the same age as I'm, I'm, I'm 36 at the minute. Well, how, well I'm, bless you, I'm 39. How was your first record, Billy Joel, then? Because that was like 1987 or something. Um, I, I was never really into it. Um, oh, my, dad, my dad used to listen to Neil Young and Bruce Springsteen, and it was, it was, you know, he took charge of the records and that was it. But we had 78s as well. They were quite, quite comical. I like 78s. Anyway, go on, the Ding Doris. Did, did, did you enjoy it last night? I did. Um, I must admit, I've never... Sometimes I've, I've, it's, always, it's always been Marmite. Um, um, I'm a celebrity, get me out of here, because yeah. it's... Some people, you know, some, some of you like, some of you don't. But last night, I thought the lineup's quite good. Yeah. Um, and I think Nate Nadine, she's she's playing it pretty cool at the minute. Um, I mean, I'm going to be watching it every night, and because the White Hat loves it, so. Um, but I think she played it pretty cool. Now, you know, she's got this this first test tonight, hasn't she? So it's the bug burial. The bug burial. Now, it, it, this is where her PR will be fantastic, or it will fail her miserably. If she does it really, really well. Yeah. And doesn't squirm and and passes a test and breezes for it like David Hay did on on, on his first um, yeah. on his first test. I think that the public will probably get bored of her right. um, pretty quickly. But if she starts to squirm and go, oh, you know, starts to streaking like that, like that other girl did. I think the public are just going to vote her again and again that's, that's and again. That's what we want, isn't it? We, we are um, uh, nasty, nasty people, and we want to yeah. see a woman, uh, a middle-aged woman, uh, screaming and crying, basically. It's not nice, though, is it, really? I mean, oh, I, I, no. <laughs> it, oh, no, of course it's not nice, but let's, that, let's, let's be honest, that's what we want. That's entertainment, that's what the public wants, that's what the public gets. Do you remember, do you remember Gillian McKeith and her, in, in inverted commas, fainting? Do you remember that? <laughs> yeah. She fainted. Oh, yes. but, oh, she opened her eyes. Oh, no, she's fainted. Um, do, you, do you think she's going to be any good, Nadine? Do you, do you think she's, she's going to be tough, or is she going to crumble? I'd, I'd like to say that she'd, she'd pull through, because, I mean... Despite whether we think she's right or wrong to go in there, she's getting a lot of attention and she mm. probably knows she's going to get um, a lot of negative uh, comments um, made against her. So I'm sort of hoping that she does pull through, but I'm also hoping that she sort of does squirm a bit as well. Is that wrong? It's, it's, it's so wrong it's right, Joe. Thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. Do you agree with Joe? I want to see a squirm. That's what we watch those programmes for. We want squirming. Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the next half an hour, um, cigarette butt chucked on the floor, 200 quid fine. Excessive or appropriate? And George Entwistle, the BBC's former Director General, quit on Saturday. We'll be finding out what that means now for the future of the BBC. 08459 455 555. But talking about this fire just off the M1, Andy's in Hemel Hempstead. Morning, Andy. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Right? Yeah, I'm c- okay, thank you. you have, uh, have you seen the fire? No, but I can I can recall at least at least six to eight years ago <coughs> it combusted one summer. Oh, um, and it, the, the reason it combusts, it's the gases in there, and they build up deep down within, and they just spontaneously combust. What the, the gases in a pile of wood? Oh yes, wood and vegetation and all sorts there. Oh. And, and what happens? And, and the heat it generates, even if the heat is in there, even without it burning, is is quite high. And I remember last time when it did combust, the M1 was closed, the four and four was closed, and it took the fire brigade at least six months to put the fire out. Excuse me, six months? Yep, that was smouldering for about six months. Yep, seriously. 
Wow. I yeah. mean, I, I drove past it this morning, and it, it, it's ma- it's massive. We're going to get some pictures on the Facebook page oh, that, that the, Justin's the sending it, in. The heat it generates, you wouldn't believe it. And it, it could be raining 24-7 for a month, and it still wouldn't put it out. And it won't put it out. Incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Andy, listen, thank you very much for that. Caught fire six years ago. Took six months to put out. He says that. I, I can kind of believe it. If you've seen it, I can kind of believe it. Well, Justin Dealey is there, and uh, we'll speak to him later on and find out exactly uh, what's going on. Now, after only 55 days in the job, George Entwistle has become the shortest-serving director-general in the history of the BBC. He resigned from his post late Saturday night uh, in a statement given to the press with Lord Patton, head of the BBC Trust. He's to get a year's salary. When appointed to the role, with 23 years' experience as a producer and leader at the BBC, I was confident the trustees had chosen the best candidate for the post and the right person to tackle the challenges and opportunities ahead. However, the wholly exceptional events of the past few weeks have led me to conclude that the BBC should appoint a new leader. It follows criticism of a Newsnight report which wrongly linked a Conservative politician to a child abuse scandal in North Wales in the 1970s and 1980s. We can talk now to Hertfordshire's Paul Conyu. He's a, a PR and media commentator. Morning, Paul. Good morning. This was inevitable, wasn't it? Um, I think it, I think it, I think it was. I, um, it's been a, a catalogue of disasters, and I think that after, um, John Humphreys' um, kebabbing of George Entwistle live on the Today programme on Saturday morning, that, uh, that was the final nail in, nail in his coffin. But all credit to the BBC for allowing that to happen. In fact, you know, it's hard to think of any other organisation that would have allowed one of its star, with star employees to to essentially sack his boss on air. You're right, Paul, and I think that, 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 that there has been a lot of criticism about this, but that is one of the things that does make the BBC so good, is that they allowed that to happen. There was no hiding away, it was out in the public, and the, the Humphreys interview was incredible, wasn't it? It, it was it, it was a masterclass in forensic interviewing, um, you know. And uh, and, I, and as I said before, I think the BBC deserve credit for that. I mean, it, you you could argue that uh, after the way the tardiness with which George Entwistle failed to address the original Newsnight program on Jimmy Savile that should have been aired and wasn't, that uh, and received a lot of criticism for for the delay in addressing that and apologising to the victims and to the and you know who, including those, of course, who, um, you know, who w- weren't aired by Newsnight, but eventually were, of course, aired by ITV. But he, there was much criticism for, you know, for his lack of, uh, uh, of his head above the parapet on, on, on that occasion, or the, or, the, or the delay in which he, he eventually faced the press and spoke, that, I, that probably there was the, it was almost inevitable that he had to actually do, you know, to appear quickly after mm. the Newsnight disaster number two. Now, the Newsnight disaster number two, Paul, this does confuse me slightly, because the, the, the person in question who has, 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 you know, come out and said, this, hey, this has nothing to do with me, you get your facts right, he was never mentioned. No, no names were mentioned in that Newsnight report, were they? Yeah, but come on. You know, we now live in, we now live in the age of cyberspace, uh, and in fact, there was so... Uh, the hints were so broad that it then, of course... Tr- triggered, uh, even before the programme aired, because of a rather boastful uh, tweet by one of the outside journalistic team they brought in, yeah. which is the story in itself. He's disappeared, that fella, hasn't he? 
Well, yes. Well, I mean, I mean, well, obviously, currently, the Bureau of Investigative Journalism are, in fact, themselves under under a cloud. I mean, they have a fairly good track record, but not an not an impeccable one. And uh, and unfortunately, I think they were so keen to actually promote this one that tweeting that ahead mm. led led to a lot of speculation. But speculation uh, on the internet. But listen, I could go onto David Icke's website. I could go onto any number of websites, as Philip Schofield did, and find a list of people that are accused of being paedophiles. But that. Is that really the BBC's responsibility? I didn't think there were enough clues in that Newsnight piece for me to go, oh, it's such and such they're talking about. It, it was quite vague. Can the BBC really... No, but you be- can't... But it, was only, it was only vague in the context of what appeared on Newsnight. But given, given the tweet that went out from one of the uh, production mm. team, albeit outside freelance, there was already... A wave of speculation with Matt McAlpine's name, you know, on Twitter, to the to the extent, and this is the the real problem, to the extent that Michael Crick, Channel 4's political editor, actually went be, even before Newsnight, in fact, aired that programme, went to Lord McAlpine. Uh, to, uh, to tell him, and McAlpine, of course, issued his stern warning that it, a it mm. wasn't me, and b I'll be I'll, I'll be suing if anybody says it was. Now, the BBC didn't didn't the Newsnight team did not even approach McAlpine, mm. which is a breach of their own of the BBC's own uh, you know guidelines yeah. for editorial guidelines, and they also didn't show the accuser. A photograph of Lord McAlpine, which, thing, isn't it? Yeah. which in fact is basically kindergarten journalism. As, as, yeah. as a former National Newspaper editor, uh, you know, I'd expect better of my most junior reporter, in fact, than that. In fact, you know, or even even a, a local weekly paper reporter. I mean, that's fundamental kindergarten journalism. Newsnight's going to go, isn't it? I think it's hanging by a gossamer. But I mean, Newsnight has a great track record, and, and it, you know, really, and, and until the events of, well, the events surrounding Jimmy Savile, child abuse, uh, you know, and the events of the last few weeks. So I think it'd be sad if Newsnight does go, but, but I think obviously it's, you know, is it now such a, such a toxic brand that it can't it can't survive but i think whatever happens to newsnight i don't you know let's not let's hope that it's replaced if it is replaced by some more serious investigative you know current affairs journalism rather rather than something sort of rather rather anemic and uh, an ultra safe some wag on twitter paul has suggested that that the bbc follows the murdoch um plan and gets rid of newsnight but brings a show called the news at night or something uh, like that there is a there are a lot of people murdoch included who are sitting back rubbing their hands with glee aren't they of course, of, of course there are, but I also think Lord Patton, whose own position I think is hanging by a gossamer thread as mm. chairman of the, uh, of, of the BBC Trust, I think he made a, a serious mistake yesterday by trying to suggest that, you know, that this was a campaign by the Murdoch press, uh, because uh, Lord Patton and Rupert Murdoch have, without boring you with too much history, in fact, have a, a personal animosity dating back to... Uh, uh, to his days as governor of Hong Kong and the book that the Murdoch that Murdoch had then didn't publish. Mm. So, so I think, but the criticism of the BBC in this in this crisis is actually is also coming from the Guardian, the Observer, the Independent, mm. the Mirror Group, who are generally speaking simpatico to the BBC. So I, I think that, that this is such a a genuine public interest crisis that that to try to actually. 
label it sort of almost a campaign by the Murdoch press is in fact unworthy of Lord Patton and ill-advised. Paul, and who's... personalises it too much. Paul, who's next to go? More are going to go, aren't they? I think there's going to be probably half a dozen senior, you know, senior figures, fi- senior figures go. And but also wearing my hat as a PR and media advisor to both to corporates, celebrities, you know, and some charities. I uh, where where the hell uh, you know is the uh, the uh, the army of BBC press officers and PR advisors been throughout this? I mean, we've had mm. George Entwistle, Mark Thompson, the previous Director General, and Lord Patton himself, all claiming they didn't. You know, at various points, they w- didn't have damaging, repetition of damaging stories about the, the original Savile Newsnight programme being shelved and other things, you know, actually flagged up to them. Well, you know, as far as if I have clients who have reputational damaging issues coming up in the media or suddenly appearing in the media, the first thing you do is actually flag it up to them and address it with them and how, and how do you counter this? Paul, listen, we have to end it there. Thank you very much. Paul Conyu, PR and media commentator. It's a mess, isn't it? The, the one thing that does... Uh, Sheila Fogarty did a lovely tweet the other day saying, yeah, this is awful, right? These are massive, massive mistakes. But the BBC's got some brilliant reporters and it has got some... We've got some brilliant reporters here. I'm not going to name them because I don't want to, to big them up too much. But we've got brilliant reporters here. The BBC has got some brilliant reporters. And there is a worry that all of this is going to just ruin all of the credibility of all the good work that people do here and in, all around the BBC. Anyway, 08459. 455555. Um, oh, John? Yeah. Oh, sorry. Morning. Good morning. You've called in about the fire, haven't you, on the M1? I am. The, I'm going back to the gentleman's comments earlier, the fact that it caught fire previously. Yeah, we had a chat phone in and said there was a fire there about six or seven years ago, yeah. yeah why didn't the environmental health, is the question, step in and suggest that they store their product slightly differently to prevent a reoccurrence? Uh, it's a good question. We, listen, we need to look into the, to, to find out the details of this fire, and I'm sure that the team are, are, are furiously googling or wikipediaing the fire from six or seven years ago. Uh, and no doubt Justin, who's out and about, will be asking these questions. But you're right, it would seem, if, if, if there is previous, uh, John, that someone should have stepped in and said, right, you need to change the way you're doing this. You can't just keep piling up loads of wood. Oh, yeah, it's absolutely correct. I'm on the N25 at the moment, like I am most Mondays, and it's just caused havoc. This is the worst I've seen this road for, for a long, long time. Wow. Uh, John, listen, thank you very much indeed. Oh, wait, 459. Four double five, five double five. Like I said, Justin Dealey is, is there at the fire uh, uh, at the moment, and we'll get to him as soon as we can to find out exactly what's going on. And if there is previous, then y- you would have suspected things would have been suggested. Colin's in Hemel. Morning, Colin. Good morning, Ian. First record you bought, please, sir. Yes, it was David Bowie, Life on Mars. Oh, no. Are you sure? Because you get, I'm always suspicious when people's first record is something really cool. Yeah, I was. I was in secondary school, and um, I think I think it was the time of the moon landing and all that. Yeah, finished, and I was really wrapped up in that. And um, yeah, so I, I, the one I bought, uh, I still got it um, because I, I became a DJ after that. So yeah. I've got a thousand of records, but that's the one I bought. Yeah. And you're, you're still a fan of Bowie now? Oh, definitely. Yes, definitely. Ever met him? Uh, yes, I have actually. Have um, you? Funnily enough, it was about ten years ago. How, d- how did that happen? Well, I was working at sea at the time. I was working as the 
entertainment manager on the QE2, and he used to travel with us across to New York and back because he didn't like flying. No. And, of course, he went under his real name, as you know, David Jones. David Jones, of course. And um, I thought, oh, I wouldn't mind meeting him sometimes. I think I've got his record. So I asked... Uh, one of my oppos, and he arranged a meeting for him. He went up to his up to his suite. He was quite <laughs> quite ill at the time. Actually, he was up in his suite for five days. And never saw him anywhere. Yeah. Sat down with him for half an hour and had quite an incredible conversation with the man because he's a very very clever chap. Yeah. And wow. he's, and um, he, he, he said, um, "Can I sign your autograph book?" So I got it from him, and he said, "What should I put?" I said, "Well, here we are on the ship, and there's a lovely line in Life on Mars says sailors fighting in a dance hall." And we had a restaurant on there called Queen's Grill. So I've got it in front of me because I just nipped it out as your yeah. chap called him back. And it says, sailors fighting in the Queen's Grill. It's the food that keeps them there fighting to be first in line, I suspect. Colin, but can you can you take a picture of that and email it to us and we'll put it on the uh, Facebook I'll, page? I'll do my best, yeah. God bless you, Colin. Send that over. We'll put that on the Facebook page. David Bowie on the QE2. Yeah, that's my David Bowie impression. It's not bad, is it? Been waiting for an excuse to do that. Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue have been deluged with calls about a fire which can be seen burning from the M1 near Hemel Hempstead. A 20-foot-high pile of wood is alight in a recycling centre. Firefighters have contained the fire but say it will take up to a week to completely put it out. Well, uh, BBC Three Counties reporter Justin Dealey is there. Justin, what's the latest? Ian, I can tell you I'm very, very hot this morning. Um, the fire started in the early hours of Sunday morning. It's on Apps Pond Lane in St Albans, directly next to the M1 Junction 8. The signs still clearly say smoke slow down and Ian a few moments ago I was on the site with group commander Paul Hardy take a listen to this so I'm live on site with Paul the heat is absolutely incredible you can probably hear the crackle I'm going to have to move away because the heat is absolutely unbelievable. The flames here are probably a good 15 to 20 foot high and I'm standing literally a matter of yards away from this fire. Uh, Paul, welcome back to the programme. I'm going to have to move away because the heat is is just unbearable for me. Um, You're saying that you can't put this fire out for days if not weeks. Just remind us why that's the case. Right, well we've got, we estimate about 10,000 tonnes of recycled timber uh, well alight. The stack is approximately 50 metres by 50 metres. Um, I'd estimate it's about 15 to 20 metres high. So it is a significant um, amount of um, product that's alight. Um, The difficulty that we have with these sort of fires and is similar to haystack fires, um, the only way uh, to effectively put them out is to pull them apart um, to allow oxygen into them and, and um, that then allows us to apply water to them to, to extinction. If you put a fire on, on this, it will literally just evaporate on the top and it won't get into the... This is very deep-seated. OK, how hot is it? If I move here to my right-hand side, I'm being shielded again by this lorry. I'm going to move away because that is... Well, wow. um, how hot is that? Well, we're, we're approximately 10 metres away and, and the wind's in our favour, so uh, we couldn't be standing this, this distance the other, the other side. There's only, fortunately, there's a, only a light wind. Uh, we're on a southerly wind and 5 to 10 miles an hour. So how hot do you think? Um, well, that would be sort of 1,000 degrees, um, 1,000 degrees. In, in the centre of Can that. Can you move back here again for me? Is yeah. that OK? You're used to this. I'm clearly not. Um, lots of our listeners have been phoning in today with their questions. I mean, obviously, we've got the fire here. It is wood. Um, surrounded by wood, this whole site here. Listeners are saying, why was this allowed to happen? This was an accident waiting to happen. Can you answer that question for us? Um, well, the, I can't 
obviously we're, we're the fire service uh, we're here to deal with the incident the the appropriate authorities are the environment agency and also hearts county council um license this as well so there's two agencies that are responsible for the um the licensing that imposed the various conditions now that's fair enough i fully understand that but of course this is not the first time you've been here for a fire though is it um, no, any sort of site of this nature, because it's on such a large scale and it's a recycling um, plant, by its very nature, um, you know, we do have an uh, attendance at, at these sort of sites, typically a couple of times a year. Have you, been th- have you been here this year already? We've had a couple of calls here. A couple of them have been false alarms. We've had one fire, which I believe was in February of this year, which, which was only a single fire engine attendance, so only a very small fire. And so looking around us now with this site, I've not seen anything like this since Bunsfield. Um, you as a fireman, you totally back that up. It's certainly the biggest fire that you've worked on since Bunsfield. Uh, quick yes or no, you probably know at this stage, was this fire deliberate? Uh, no, we don't believe so. Um, there was indica- the, the site owners, this has been, um, I believe, Saturday. It was smouldering a little bit. Um, again, due to the processes that go on here, it's, it's quite common to have um, reaction with, you know, they, they make compost material as well. So um, quite regularly, this and, and viewers, listeners who you know live in the locality or, dr- or drive by, you will often see the smouldering, uh, you know, similar to a manure heap, if you like. Yeah. Um, so it's not that uncommon to have, um, you know, smouldering product. It's interesting to know. I am baking here. Please, can you take me off this site now? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That was myself talking to Paul Hardy earlier on Group Commander for Hearts Fire and Rescue. In I've done some interviews before in my time in strange circumstances, but but the heat was incredible. Oh, bless you, Justin. Can, can we move now, please? <laughs> oh, I'm really I said to Paul, I said, you know what? I sound like a big girl. He said, no, don't worry. He said, I've got all the equipment on. He said, you've turned up this morning. I said, you know what? I'd look like a Muppet, Paul. I'm wearing a scarf this morning, and I'm coming to a fire which is 20 foot high. But yeah. um, it, it is sounded incredible. Still. We could hear the crackle there and yeah. it sounded amazing well fingers crossed they can put this out as, as they say they're not quite sure when they can they've got a meeting at nine o'clock this morning uh, the water supply here is poor it could take days it could take weeks in saying that in this morning i thought the m1 would come to a standstill because of course the fire is right, right next to it right next to the yep. m1 i'm directly above the m1 right now the signs are up saying 60 miles an hour but here around junction 8 the traffic is definitely moving so that's a good thing justin you may not have heard earlier on we had a call from a guy who said there was a fire there about six seven eight years ago um and it took them six months to put it out do we know if 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 this is right we've not looked into this if there was a fire there before well the the information that that was coming back from the firemen here was there was a fire earlier this year in february and that was put out pretty quickly in terms of what happened a few years ago again i can go back on the site in a second and put that question to them but six months that's um that's incredible just because it was smoldering for so long and also another caller uh, and I, i i don't know the area particularly well so that it was very near some power lines. Is that right? Yes, uh, power lines directly above. Um, those lines have been turned off. Right. I mentioned earlier on that there's not hundreds of houses here. There's about four or five houses around this plant. So what I'm going to do, hopefully at some point between now and nine, is go and speak to them residents and, and find out how they feel about yeah. this. Because as we've mentioned a few times, it's not the first time there's been a fire here and there's wood absolutely everywhere. Our, our listeners are right, I think. You know, looking around the site, it was a disaster waiting mm. to happen. 
we have had a few people phoning in saying that we had a, a truck driver drives past every day and just thought it was outrageous that it had been allowed to grow that big. Well, yeah, it's absolutely huge. I can guarantee you right now, I'm looking at the wood. Some of the wood hasn't burnt. There's moulds around. Uh, the wood's probably a good, what, 20 metres high, mm. and it's just sitting there. Any sort of match, and the whole thing will go up, as is what's happened here. Justin, you're doing cracking work. We'll, we'll get back to you when we can. Thank you very much, though, Justin Daly, uh, by the scene of that fire. If you live near it, there aren't any houses right next to it. If you live near it, or it's affecting you, could you give us a call? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five, and as we often do on this show, we are bouncing all over the place like like a pinball in a machine. Uh, singles. Uh, Matt is in Luton. Morning, Matt. Good morning. First single you bought? Uh, Fudge Domino, Blueberry Hill. Oh, that, now come on, that really? Because that's another cool one. Yeah, uh, seventy-eight. Absolutely brilliant. Are you sure you're not rewriting history, Matt, to make you sound hip? No, I am hip anyway. Well, I've, I've often thought it. I didn't dare say it out loud though. <laughs> Uh, and I believe you got some information about the broadcaster Jimmy Young. Uh, well, one of the greatest broadcasters ever lived. Oh, he's a legend. Better than you. Well, I, I, I take those. Listen, I grew up. I think that's part of the reason I'm doing this job now. Is I grew up with a massive radiogram. Do you remember radiograms, Matt? Yeah, radiograms. For those who don't know, the kids who don't know, I grew up in the seventies. We had a radiogram, and what it was, it was a sideboard, right? It was a massive sideboard, yeah. but you yeah. opened it, and it was a, it was a radio. Yes, and it had to uh, be that Alba. big for it to work. And the name of the, the the name of the normal one was Alba. I think we had an Alba. Yeah, it was it was blooming Woolwich. massive. Woolwich. Um And uh, we used to listen to Jimmy Young on that when my mum was doing yeah. the ironing. I was a little boy. He, he was a he was a great broadcaster. But was he a singer as well, Matt? Man from Laramie. Oh. He sang that because it was, was a great film uh, film at the time. Right. Uh, James Stewart was starred in that film. Uh, uh, was he any good at singing, though, Matt? That's, that's uh, the question. Not very good. He was average. <laughs> <laughs> and in the old days, you could get by with... We can get by with being worse than average these days. It's all done on a computer. Yes, yes. Matt, but, listen, thank you very much for that. It's, it's right, the old radiograms. I'd forgotten about that. It was the size of, it was the size of a sideboard. It'd be, I don't know, what? About six foot long? It was massive. It was a huge piece of furniture. And that was the radio. It had to be that big. Wow. That's brought back some memories. Thank you, Sophie. Appreciate all your calls this morning about the fire. And this is one of the things I think we did particularly well, is we, you are our eyes and our ears out there. Uh, if you want to give us a call about that or anything else, please do. And we'll speak to you after the news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Sooty Sweep and Sue are set to move to a new home in Buckinghamshire. The rights to a large library of programmes featuring the TV favourites are being bought by One Media IP. But and they're being sold by Richard Cadell, who's appeared alongside Sooty since 1999. The company will have exclusive control of a variety of classic Sooty content from the first episodes of the 1950s all the way through to the 70s. There's more news and sports online at bbc.co.uk slash three counties. BBC Three Counties Radio, first for news. Do you feel big and clever talking about City in the news? It makes you feel a little bit special. And in many ways, you are, Catherine. I interviewed Sooty once, and he had a water pistol. There's some old boy holding him, right? And he had a water pistol, and he's squirting everyone. And I said, Sooty, if you squirt me with that water pistol, I'm going to punch the old man sat next to you. He didn't squirt me. He didn't squirt me. Morning, this is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Coming up in the last hour of the show before JVS, Midbeds MP Nadine Doris is to face a Bush Tucker trial. How do you think she came across in last night's I'm a Celebrity? 
Ahead of the Police and Crime Commissioner elections, we'll find out what's being done to tackle antisocial behaviour in Aylesbury. And the UK Singles Chart is celebrating its 60th birthday. What was the first single you ever bought? Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. Text 81333, starting your text 3CR, or give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Did you watch I'm a Celeb last night? It was a bit late for me. I thought I'd taped it. I hadn't. So I watched some Dragon's Den this morning instead. Well, Nadine Doris, uh, MP for Mid-Bedfordshire, faced her own a polit- a political bush-tucker trial from Westminster before she got anywhere near the jungle. And a certain Geordie pair, Ant and Deck thought they'd better remind her about it. There's a heavyweight champion, an ex-Doctor Who, a crafty cockney, and of course, the woman everyone's talking about, Nadine Dorries MP, a lady who's in the jungle, on the news, and definitely off David Cameron's Christmas card list. Incidentally, good evening, Prime Minister. Uh, the uh, phone numbers for the first Bush Trucker trial are coming up very shortly. <laughs> But the mid-beds MP says she can handle anything. Truth be known, I don't really know what I'm letting myself in for. But there isn't anything anyone can say to me, or any situation I can be put in, that is going to be any more uncomfortable than any I've already been through. How hard can it be? Yeah, you say that, then you got voted for the first Bush Tucker trial. It's between Nadine and Hugo. The public have decided the person they want to see face bug burial is... Nadine. Oh, Nadine. That's okay, I kind of expected it. Nadine, get yourself ready, and we'll see you across the bridge at the bush to the trial area later. Yeah, she's going to be taking part in bug burial. What fun. Good news for some, as she's angered quite a few people recently. Organisers of the Shefford Remembrance Service say she agreed to lay a wreath in their service yesterday, but instead took part in I'm a Celebrity. She hadn't uh, accepted an invitation to lay a wreath during the service, but organisers only found out she wouldn't be coming when they read about it in the newspaper. Well, Vic King is the Vice Chairman of the Shefford and District Royal British Legion branch. Morning, Vic. Good morning. When did you invite Nadine to take part in the service? She's been doing it over the last three years, ever since she was MP. She asked to lay the wreath at our ceremony, and we were very honoured to have an MP come to our service. And each year, there's been a a wreath ordered, and she has laid it. uh, Two weeks ago, I delivered a wreath to their office in Shefford, and I received the money for that wreath. So there was no question that she would not be there to lay it. So hang on a bit. She hadn't. Had she specifically said she was definitely going to be there this year, or was it presumed? If somebody orders a wreath and they ordered the wreath in her name, then it is assumed very strongly that she will be there to lay that wreath. There was no question that she wouldn't be there or to be laid on somebody else's on, by somebody else on her behalf. How did you feel when she found out that she obviously wasn't going to be taking part? We felt locked down. A bit of panic as to what was going to happen. And we had to run around to find out who was going to lay the wreath. And we assumed then, on her behalf. And uh, how did you find out, Vic? It was local gossip. It became known locally that... um, she, had, she would not be there to lay that wreath. 
and uh, there was nothing from the office, nothing, nobody said anything, just from what we read, what we knew, she wasn't going to be there. Uh, Nadine Doris's daughter, Cassie, I think it is, has said that her mum arranged for someone to lay the wreath on her behalf and told the organisers about it weeks ago that she wouldn't be able to, to attend. Are, are you saying that's not true? They didn't tell us. We knew nothing until we made inquiries and it was agreed eventually that Councillor Lewis Burt would lay the wreath. When, when was that agreed, Vic? Uh, two, three days ago. OK, so you're, you're saying categorically that as far as you know, no one from the Dean uh, Doris's office told you weeks ago that she wouldn't be able to attend? Absolutely, yeah. Despite all this, how did the day go, Vic? Success? Wonderful. We were never... Each year our, our parade gets better and bigger. And the number of children involved this year was overwhelming, really, really great. We've, the weather was kind to us, it was cold, but it was dry and sunny, and we had a wonderful time. Are you a fan? Loads of people there, and we've taken a lot of money. Good for you, Vic. Well done. And are, are you a fan of I'm a Celebrity? Are you going to be watching it? Hello? Hello, Vic. Can you hear me? Yes. I was just asking, are you a fan of I'm a Celebrity, the, the show that Nadine is doing? Will you be watching it? <laughs> I had a look at it last night only because of what has happened. I wouldn't normally watch it. And wh what did you make of it? <laughs> did you enjoy it? <laughs> I think it's a load of rubbish, frankly. But, uh, never mind. Uh, I don't think my opinion of the show is important. Vic, listen, thank you very much. I'm, I'm glad the day was a success. Well done for that. Vic King. Vice Chairman of the Shefford and District Royal British Legion Branch, saying there, categorically, that as far as he knows, to the best of his knowledge, um, they weren't told about it weeks ago, which, which goes, runs contrary to um, what Nadine Doris's daughter has been saying. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. There's a big fire. Just off Junction 8 of the M1, if you drive up and down the M1, you literally cannot miss it. I was driving up this morning, it was dark, it was pitch black, and it was, uh, it, it's an amazing sight. It really is. I've never seen a fire uh, like it. Well, George is uh, about a mile from the, the fire, is that right, George? Yes, at maximum a mile. Uh, you, you live about a mile away. Where exactly do you live? Not exactly. I, I, live, in, uh, I live in Chiswell Green, Cuckman's Drive. OK, well, do you know what time the fire started? I don't. I, I know yesterday... We were all running around like headless chickens trying to find out whose house around here was on fire. Right. There was smoke everywhere in everybody's house. The smoke was in the house? Yeah. I mean, it, it was... It, it absolutely stunk. It was awful. So, did, for, for a while, George, did you worry that your house was on fire? I did, yeah. Oh. I, I even went in the loft to see if it was on fire. Wow, really? <laughs> Uh, and, and you discovered that it was it was this big pile of wood somewhere. The, the first I've heard of it was this this morning. Oh, really? So you didn't... Uh, as far as we were concerned, there was still something on fire around here. So no one came and knocked on your door and said, oh, by the way, you should know, there's a, fu there's not, a fire at a mile Not a word anywhere, on the radio or anything. George, how long have you lived uh, where you are? 70 years. 70 years. So, w would you remember, was there a fire there uh, on the same site about six, seven years ago? There was, yes. Right. And it, it took ages to put it out. Um, I, I, the only way I can see they can get rid of this rubbish is burn it. Mm. <laughs> it, it it's awful. 
and if the fire has happened, if they've had fires there before, we know there was one a few months ago, and as you say, one about six, seven years ago. Yeah. It, you would have thought someone would have stopped them piling up the wood that high, if there's, if there's previous. Well, I, I can't understand why it's there. What, what the hell do they use the wood for? Mm. I mean, all right, we do get um, compost around this area that is nothing but wood bits, so I'm assuming it's coming from there. And, George, you, you say there's been smoke in the house. Is, is, is anything damaged in the house? Is there marking anywhere on the paintwork? No, well, not that I know of. I mean, we, we were blown up by Bunsfield a little while ago. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, I mean, I didn't realise then that the, the blast had cracked the chimney right the way down. It wasn't until next-door neighbours were having a, um, a modification done to their house that we found that there was a great split down the chimney. George, are you sure these fires are nothing to do with you? You seem to be the common <laughs> factor in all of these. Are you sure it's not you? That's very nice of you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm only teasing. No. George, listen, thank you very much. Go, go and have a... Check your paintwork. Have a look at all your doors and your walls and your ceilings. Make sure nothing's damaged, otherwise it's an insurance job. Thank you, George. Thank you for being a good sport. Uh, so there is previous there. There has been a fire there six, seven years ago. Um, there's going to be a, 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 an investigation into this. We'll, no doubt we'll speak to Justin Dealey, who's out there uh, before the end of the show. But if you live nearby, 08459 455 555. Richard from Harpenden has texted him. There's another huge pile of scrap wood next to the Thameslink line in Cricklewood at the bottom end of the M1. I know it very well. There are lots of houses and businesses near that one. An even bigger disaster waiting to happen. Uh, thank you, Richard. Um, oh, this is interesting. Little, we've got a sneaky preview of what, what's happening on Jonathan's show. He's going to come in in a few minutes and tease us. Although, he, Jonathan, you can't come in for too long. We've got a busy show this morning. I'm giving you my airspace, but very quickly. Just uh, to let you know that after 55 days, George Entwistle has become the shortest-serving director-general in the history of the BBC. He resigned on Saturday. Did you notice that the BBC news coverage, they even muffed up. They missed the start of his speech. Yeah, that wasn't good, was it? Well, JVS will be discussing this on his big phone-in. He's asking, do you still like the BBC? Well, there's a question. I've only worked here a couple of months. I'm getting lumped in with all of this. Not my fault. Jonathan's here. Keep it quick. We've got a busy show. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, we, we have. We have. We can be a little yeah. bit, but I've been instructed by... by no, no, it's fine. I, I'll no. keep it uh, brief. I've been instructed by uh, my producer, and let's be honest, my conscience, that our bits are a little bit too long, really. They kind of... Uh, and I, you Is know, that what she said? Cheeky she, monkey. We, we, had, we had a discussion on Friday. She said, look, when Jonathan comes in, it's, it's a lot of fun for you guys, but I don't know if the listener... <laughs> is having quite as much fun as you are. She's nodding in the background. Yeah, look, look, yeah, yeah that's true. right. That's that's true. I, 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 that's I don't think it's quite as much fun for the listener. It's very self-indulgent. Um, Ian, you're excellent. Jonathan slows you down. So, right. <laughs> listen, very quickly, though, it is your birthday. <laughs> it is your birthday on Wednesday. Yes. And I have your, your birthday present from me. Mm-hmm. We're going to have a lovely little wrestle in the studio, yeah, like that like, scene from Women in Love. I don't like the idea of this wrestling. Why? I don't want to come here and wrestle no, with a bit, you. bit of fun. Come down a couple minutes early so you can strip off, and uh, <laughs> I'll have the baby oil. It'll be a birthday wrestle. Oh, my God. It's a tradition in my family. No, thank you. What's happening on your show this morning? On the big phone in this morning, criticism of the BBC continues today following the resignation of the new Director-General, George Entwistle. He spent only 54 days in his post and made the decision to go following the recent Newsnight broadcast into allegations of child abuse. Well, today, it's the decision to pay George Entwistle a year's salary of £450,000 that's under scrutiny. Is that all he gets? 
The BBC says it reflects the fact that he will continue to help on BBC business, most specifically on two ongoing inquiries. Labour's deputy leader, Harriet Harman, says the £450,000 sum looks like a reward for failure. Well, it would be fair to say, ladies and gentlemen, it's all kicking off at the BBC at the moment, isn't it? Yes. It's all uh, a bit of a nightmare. It seems to be scandal after scandal. The question I'm asking you is, do you still like the BBC? Do you still feel as if the BBC is is the nation's auntie? Or has the BBC turned, as somebody put it on Twitter recently, has it turned from being the nation's auntie into actually your creepy old uncle? <laughs> I'd love to hear your view That's from good. nine this morning. Do you still like the BBC? And please, can I just say, uh, and both Ian and myself, we work for the BBC. Yes. I, I love the BBC. I've worked for the BBC for years. I've only been here two months. It's nothing to do with me. No. Well, and, and to be honest, these scandals that have gone on, they're nothing to do with the vast majority of no. us who work at the BBC. Thank you very much indeed. So... Do support us if you do still like the BBC. I'd love your view from nine, whether you're in favour or not of the BBC. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Was that quick enough? It was. I'm going to slow things down a bit. So, some wag, you know when George Emerson was going to do this speech on on Saturday, knowing you what it was about. Some wag tweeted, "Oh, it looks like uh, Emerson is going to apologise for giving Ian Lee the BBC Three Counties Breakfast Show." Oh, unbelievable! Oh, how rude. rude! Did I, George personally ask you to do that? He phoned me up. Is that he one said, of his Ian, first decision. This is what I want." I want <laughs> <laughs> want to shake up beds, hearts and bucks, you're my... I like the BBC. I do like the BBC, partly because they pay my wages. We would just talk upstairs. Can you imagine what life would be like if we didn't have the BBC in this country? It would be awful. Can you imagine? It would be awful, and people don't realise that. No, because you'd have... If you think... Take Rupert Murdoch. Yeah. You'd have a whole load of Rupert Murdoch, yep. and they'd all have their no, own news agenda, yep. and they'd all pay people like us to present programmes, and we'd have to put a particular political bias yep. based on who the big boss wanted us to. It, we wouldn't have impartiality at all in this country. But people don't realise that. They won't miss it until it's gone. They won't miss it until it's gone, and there, there is a chance that we, it might go in, oh, in some way. I know. I say they pay me. I haven't been paid yet. What, Nothing. Nothing. I'm doing this as a, as a work expert. I'm not really. Yeah, I, I'll tell you why later. Ah, uh, I'll tell you why George now. George Whistle's got it. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. I told you why. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jonathan. Right. Lots on the show. Let's let's hurry on. Research commissioned by BBC Three Counties Radio shows a majority of people in beds, hearts and bucks do not intend to vote for their upcoming police and crime commissioner. That's despite an increase in the amount of awareness of the elections. Well, out of those questioned by students from the University of Bedfordshire, 57% of people said they didn't plan to vote in the election on Thursday. In the run-up to the elections, we'll be looking at what issues affect you. This morning, we're looking at antisocial behaviour. There were over 140,000 recorded incidents across the Beds, Hearts and Thames Valley forces in the last year. Well, our reporter, Sophie Solaria, has gone to Youth Concern, a youth club in Aylesbury, to see how Buckinghamshire are trying to tackle antisocial behaviour. I'm PC Sarah Smith. I work at Hartford Neighbourhood Team and have been on neighbourhoods for nine years. And my name's um, Peter Simon Hughes. Um, I cover Sill Farm and I have been for three years. And so today you're taking me out on a bike. Is this a new thing, these bicycles? There have been sporadic use of bikes in Hertfordshire, um, but now um, it's been rolled out across the county and all the neighbourhood teams are going to have them. We do as much as we can foot patrol and cycle patrol around the town and back to sort of your old-fashioned policing if you like right so we've just pulled up here by a rather dark and scary underpass can you explain to me what this is this is um part of the national cycle route um it looks a bit scary this end but it's actually a really nice ride it takes you uh, um via the river towpath um, to our neighboring town of Ware. 
um, and historically and we have had some problems on the towpath and with drug dealing and such like um, and the use of these bikes has really helped to um, sort of stamp that out because we're able to get to areas we would never have previously been able to get to. Are you taking me down there now? We are, especially to this underpass because I want to inspect the graffiti and because I'm doing a graffiti project at the moment um, and uh, graffiti has been popping up here so I want to see if there's any extra. We're under the underpass and Sarah, I bet you're a bit dismayed to see that there is actually some graffiti on both sides of the wall. Was this yeah, here last yeah. time you checked? Some of it was. I think that tag there is new. Um, I wouldn't say we have a particularly bad problem with um, graffiti in Hartford, but it is something that um, the council have informed me is on the rise. So um, we're putting a project in place. Okay, so we've just pulled over in Hartford uh, Town Centre because it was just a little bit too wet to continue to ride. So all this work that you're doing, yet there is still antisocial behaviour in Hertfordshire. What are your longer-term projects to deal with that? I think um, there's antisocial behaviour everywhere in, um, in Hertfordshire. We, we do have a relatively low level of antisocial behaviour, but um, I think it's just getting down to sort of the basics and, and educating um, young people, finding things for them to do and using diversionary tactics to, to stop antisocial behaviour happening um, and we currently have Operation Panther um, which is aimed at antisocial behaviour um, and it's basically tackling the cause of the problem writing home to the parents when they first come to notice to us before it escalates and, and they become a problem That's our reporter Sophie Soleri there well, With me now in the studio is Fran Borg-Wheeler Executive Manager at Youth Concern and Paul Doble, Psychotherapist for the Charity Thank you very much for coming in, good morning well, Fran, uh, antisocial behaviour what, what's your take on it? I think it's a very complex um, area, um, but uh, I think I think we need to differentiate between low-level antisocial mm. behaviour and and the very damaging acts which can um, result in um, victim suffering. Well, on the one hand, I, in terms of causes, I, I, again complicated, but I, I think some of the key um, causes include boredom um, and difficulties. Um, at home, perhaps, or in other areas of, of young people's lives. Um, Friend, there might be some people who say that. that but how can people be bored these days? They've got PlayStation threes, Xboxes coming out their ears, iPads, iPhones. Well, yes, I know, um, but th- this is what we we do hear from young people, and also if we look at the research, it does indicate that in some areas communal facilities are lacking. Um, or perhaps not available to families on, on lower incomes. Mm. Um, yes, a lot of um, Xboxing is going on, but I think um, that isn't necessarily improving young people's communication um, and interaction skills, which, which, which are key. Mm. Paul, giving kids a label like this, is it creating a stigma, do you think? Well, I think... Uh I think over the years we've built up a very negative picture of young people um, and and certainly the the, uh, the publicity around um, the riots um, created a, a, a really stigmatized young people and um, again um, we're talking about um, 99.9% of young people were not involved in those riots mm. when you look at the teenage population compare it to people who were involved so that gives a flavor of of um how a very small percentage of young people um were involved in something that that a large percentage were stigmatized for mm. we heard earlier on in the show from a resident in milton Keynes who stopped a youth center being built opposite her home because she feared a rise in antisocial behavior in the area do you do a lot of work with communities to kind of put their minds at ease 
Um, informally, we, we do have a, a lot of consultation and dialogue with the local community. Um, we include a lot of um, the local residents in our volunteering and um, the, the, the feedback we often get from well, some of these people are parents of the young people, others will, will know of young people who attend our services. The feedback we get is very positive. They, they, they want young people mm. to have access to more activities. I mean, we provide a, a music studio that's free of charge. Hey, we, that's not bad. We provide a counselling department which, which can help young people who are When I was a kid, youth stories. clubs just had a ping pong table and that was it. You've got a music studio there. We have. Um, th- this was in, in response to the young people asking us and we, we went and um, included the young people in, in um, getting a grant from a youth panel. And it's a fantastic resource. Young people can, can have a, a means of expression mm. and um, can also link into the support services that we... You mentioned the grant. There are cuts everywhere. Uh, everyone's facing cuts. Is that affecting you? Definitely. We, we've seen very, very extreme cuts um, throughout youth services, and that has affected the voluntary sector too. We're having to be a little bit more innovative and um, resourceful, so we're trying to hire out our venue. We're including young people in fundraising initiatives, and the grant writing continues. But yes, there's a smaller pot and more people competing for it. But what would happen if you, if you closed? Well, I think initially nothing would happen. Mm. Um, and I think this is the problem, that, that if we neglect young people, um, that uh, the problems stack up as time goes on. Um, and uh, creating a negative vibe around young people won't necessarily be seen today, but in years to come, um, that will have a huge impact on the way that young people integrate into society. And I think um, that we need to we need to be mindful today of young people's issues. Mm. Fran, what, what have you got coming up? Anything exciting happening? Yes, well, we're due to be launching a mentoring project in in local upper schools. So we will be targeting young people who are at risk of exclusion and offering them some one-to-one mentoring sessions. And there's a lot of research to show that um, a young person given um, some one-to-one constructive time, which is supporting their issues, will, will produce better in terms of um, better outcomes in terms of learning and behaviour and inclusion. Mm. Um, we want to work with young people to help them achieve their goals and aspirations and be a positive contribution to society, which is what most of them would like to do. Very quickly, if people want to find out uh, uh, about Youth Concern, where where can they go? Is there a website? Yes, there is a website, um, which is www.youthconcern.org.uk. Now, it is in development. Um, in the process at the moment we've, we've had an expert volunteer offer his services um, you can also call us on 01296 43183 and we'd be very happy to tell you more excellent thank you very much for uh, for coming in both of you that's uh, fran borgwiler and paul doble best of luck with all of that and that's your latest news and sport more from me at nine o'clock no sooty mention not one mention thank you very much this too early but i don't care this is exciting it's what you need thank you catherine it's what you need at 8 32 in the morning a little bit of strictly we'll talk more about the fire and everything else a bit later on i should say if you go to the facebook page facebook.com 
forward slash BBC3CR. Justin has posted some amazing pictures of the fire, but let's talk Strictly, shall we? I don't watch it. I don't need to watch it because I have a team of young people out there who do all of the watching for me. This week it's the turn of Kiana, uh, who is aged uh, 10 from St Albans. Good morning, Kiana! Morning, Ian! How are you doing? I'm fine, thanks. And then you... How are you? Thank you very much. Yeah, I'm good! Although I had a migraine all weekend. Oh, okay. Hello? Hello? Is, it, is this on? Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> Kiana, you, um, let, we'll, we'll talk strictly in a bit. I just want to get, I just want to get the young vibe. I want to feel young, okay? So what did you do, <laughs> sorry, what did you do as a young person this weekend, Kiana? Uh, I, I went to my friend's party yesterday. Yeah, and what did you do at the party? Uh, dance. What kind of music? Were you dancing to, like, the Backstreet Boys and, and uh, Jason Donovan, hit bands like that? Uh, no. Well, what kind of music do you listen to th- these days, then? Glenn Medeiros? <laughs> no. Oh. What? I don't listen to any of that old music. What do you mean, old music? Glenn Medeiros is a current pop star, isn't he? What do you listen to, Kiana? Uh, R&B, pop. Oh, R&B, so, but, like, Muddy Waters and The Who, things like that? Yeah. Okay. (laughs) This isn't going the way I planned. So tell me uh, about Strictly Come Dancing. I did see a bit of it. No Bruce Forsyth this weekend. Was it better or worse without him, Kiana? Uh, I think it's a bit worse without him. Don't you like, um, who's the other lady with the eyes? I can never remember her name. Claudia. I like Claudia. She's good, isn't she? Yeah, she's all right. Oh, okay. You sound a bit disappointed. (laughs) Who was, who wore the prettiest dress, Kiana? (laughs) Um, probably, I'd have to say Fern, because I felt a bit sorry for her when she went out. Oh, she, Fern was the one to go, was she? Why did you feel sorry for her? Well, because she's a good dancer, and really, I think, you know Denise Van Alton? Yeah, I know Denise Van Alton, yeah. I think it's a bit really cheaty, because she's already kind of a dancer. You think it's cheaty to have her on just because she's had dance training? Yeah. Okay. So that's di- that's disappointing. So you, you you're disappointed that Fern uh, that Fern went out. Who yeah. was the best dancer of the week, Kiana? I really loved um, Louis and Flavia. Yeah, Flavia. <laughs> Flavia Flavia's got the no. Flavia's got amazing hair, hasn't she? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how her hair works. I wish my I'm gonna I'm gonna grow my hair a little bit and see if I can get it cut into a Flavia flavour. Um, I don't think you'll have enough years to grow it. So I'm going to take that away and work out what you mean and then get back to you. Can I speak to your, your sister, Sienna, please? Yeah. Thank you. I hope she, she won't be so rude. Sienna's eight years old, by the way. Hello, Ian. Good morning, Sienna. How are you? I'm good. Thank did, did you. Did you go to this rubbish party that your sister went to at the weekend? No, it's my... Um, silly friend... My sister's silly friend, Olivia, and oh, I don't it, like her. It's... Uh, you don't like Olivia? It sounds like an awful party, doesn't it? They weren't playing any Backstreet Boys on You Kids on the Block. We don't know who Backstreet Boys are. Do you not? Do you not watch Top of the Pops? Then I say, do you not watch Top of the Pops or the Chart Show on the ITV Saturday mornings? No. <laughs> oh, I say that's uh, disappointing, right? Well, Sienna, what did you make of, of of this week's Strictly Come Dancing or SCD, as I like to call it? Um, I liked it, and 
Um, I thought you said that you I could meet Danny Harmer, but you, I, um, I, no one was came up at my door. Right. No, hang on. Just so sorry. Say that again. The the line's breaking up, Sienna. What did you say? Um, I didn't get to meet Danny Harmer. That's um um uh, what's her name the the, the thingy Bob the, the Tracy, Tracy Beaker. Beaker Tracy Beaker yes now let Sienna I think I think you may have, now when you were on oh I should explain when Sienna was on the other week we we said that, that wouldn't it be great if Sienna could meet uh, Tracy Beaker now Sienna legally we didn't actually promise anything so if you want to sue us or go to the Daily Mail or Ofcom you can't. Right, uh, but let me just let me just tell you, Sienna. My team of um, work experience people, Ollie, really is chasing this one up. And and goddamn it, if we can't do it, then no one can. Is, does that sound better? Um, well, can I at least go on the phone with her or something? Oh, Sienna. Yeah. Well, oh God. Okay, Sienna. Let, let's let's be honest now. Uh, no, you can't. No, we're trying. Listen, honestly, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, we are trying our best to get Tracy Beaker on the show. We got really, really close, and Ollie is doing a blinding job. We got really, really close, right? And she was going to come on, and then Ollie spoke to her agent, and she went, I don't know anything about this. So, we are working on it, Sienna. What would be good, what would be useful, because we could send this to her, is could you cry on the phone now, just cry, and say, I really want to meet Tracy Beaker. Could you do that for us? Sienna, we're going to clip that and we're going to send it to her. And if she says no, then shame on her. If she says no, then shame on her. Keanu and Sienna, thank you very much. Excellent stuff. But if you're listening to that uh, and you're ten or under, uh, we want you to review Strictly for us. We've got a great team. We want more. We want to expand the team. So if you're a, a, a mum or a dad and you think your son or your daughter... Because boys like Strictly as well, don't they? Don't they? If you're a mum or a dad and you think that your kid, who, 10 or under, I think 7, 8, 9 is kind of the perfect age for this, uh, and they want to review Strictly Come Dancing for us, could you give us a call? 08459 455 555 and we'll add you to our roster of excellent reviewers. Um, and that's not because we're never going to let Sienna on again and make that problem disappear. That's not because we're doing that, I promise you. Or you can send an email, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. If you just mark it, Ian Lee, Strictly Come Dancing, um, and then we'll get back to you, OK? So we're looking for new people. Thank you very much. Across beds, hearts and bugs, this is BBC Three Counties Radio. This story I find fascinating. A man in Bedford has been fined for dropping a cigarette butt by Bedford Borough Council. Jonathan Cooper has been fined, get this, £200 and then ordered to pay £100 court costs after he was seen throwing a cigarette butt from his vehicle. Councillor Charles Royden is Deputy Mayor at the Council. Good morning, Charles. Hey, good morning. How are you doing? We're also joined by David, David Atherton. He's the Chairman of Freedom to Choose in Luton. Good morning, David. Good morning. Councillor, start with you first. Some people might say, 200 quid, a bit harsh for a cigarette butt, isn't it? Yeah, he wasn't fined £200 by Beverborough Council, of course. He was fined £200 with a £100 cost and a £15 victim surcharge by the court because he decided that he wouldn't pay a fixed penalty ticket and he wanted to go to court instead. How much is the fixed penalty ticket? The fixed penalty ticket is £75, but of course he could have paid only £50 if he'd paid it within the 14-day period. But he chose he wanted to go to court, now he's paying court, and the court decided he'd be fined £200. I think, actually, he failed to turn up in court, so he's fined in his absence. But um, 
That's part of our decision to make sure that we enforce against the crime of littering for people who toss their rubbish into the street and make other people go and clear it up. Aren't there more important things, Ch- uh, Charles, to, for the council to be cracking down on? Yeah, we're cracking down on them as well. We're cracking down on littering, we're fly-tipping, dog-fouling, all those crimes that make our streets look really, really scruffy and cost us a million pounds a year to clean up, and that's every taxpayer has to pay that. And Mayor Dave Hodgson said we're going to have a zero-tolerance campaign against these kinds of crimes, and that's what we're doing. David, when you listen to it like that, it kind of makes sense, doesn't it? <laughs> well, I must say, I must say I, I'm quite a tidy person myself, and uh, my, uh, my ashtray in my car is groaning with cigarette butts. And then I'll also take out a dog for a walk. I also take a food back as well. David, listen, we're going to try and get you back. The line is, is, is a terrible for some reason. We're going to get our team of boffins to see if we can get you to go and stand near a window or something. Let's go back to you, Charles. Yeah. We've heard uh, on occasion of incidents like a, a person could be fined because they drop a receipt or, or something falling out of their pocket accidentally. That's not fair, is it? No, what we're talking about is people who deliberately decide that they don't want to have to take their rubbish home with them or put it in a bin and they decide that someone else is going to have to clean up after them. And if you walk around the streets, you know, and you see litter all over the place, if you see people fly tipping by the roadside or just allowing the dogs to foul the pavement. I think most people, most residents feel that's not right. You should have to clear it up. And we have a campaign called Why Would You? And I think that's the question I would ask. You know, why would you just toss your rubbish on the pavement or allow your dog to, to, to foul the pavement and not clear up after it? Or just decide you're going to take a load of old tyres and chuck them by the roadside? I think it is really disgraceful. And I'm pleased that our officers are out there doing this. This man was fined £250. I can tell you one other man was fined £750 when he went to court. Maybe 750 quid, Charles. Yeah, what, what he did? What he, did he do? Well, he went and got his McDonald's wrappers and all the rest of it, and his and his and his coffee cups. And he just chucked them on the on the pavement, and the court didn't like that, you know. And these are, this isn't a decision that's made by the borough council. This is a decision that's made by the magistrates, and they've decided that enough's enough. And I, I absolutely agree with them, you know. When people treat society with contempt like this, and their environment with contempt, it is a crime, and it should be tackled. If you, if uh, you, oh, hang on a second, I think we can go back to David. David, are you back now? Yeah, I'm back now, yeah. Oh, so I'm, I'm we can hear what you were good saying. Old, good old landline, I'm yeah, down the mo- Let's be honest, mobiles are rubbish, aren't they? <laughs> David, what, what, sorry, what was the point you were making earlier on? Yeah, so the point, put, put it back, I, I, what, I, what, I generally agree, uh, you know, against people littering the streets and uh, littering the roads. As I say, I, my, my, my ashtray in my car is groaning with cigarette butts at the moment, and uh, when, I, when I take my dog out for a walk, I also take take my poopy bag as well and clear it off the dog but is, you know, isn't this isn't this uh, really a case of here uh, the, the the fine and and the charges that that that, that, that spoker had was completely disproportionate I, I, I you know i had a quick quick google before i came on the show Ooh, who's, who's, <laughs> yeah <laughs> who's been fined 200 pounds uh, in the past and uh, to give you an idea what what, what kind of offences to, to, uh, to, uh, attracts a 200 pound fine there was a rugby counsellor uh, who, who was fined 200 pounds for driving without insurance there's a chap in uh, Northern Ireland County Tyrone who was found 200 pounds for polluting a river and there was a fly tipper at the back, back of a van uh, he was fined 200 pounds as well Charles, yeah. it's, it, Charles it's disproportionate well you haven't uh, understood the case the man was given a, a 75 pound fine which he could have paid in four days and been £50. Instead, he decided he would go to court, and he failed to actually even still, bother to appear in court and make his... And make his ma- hold on. He failed to <laughs> appear in court, and therefore the court decided...
decided that because yes. of his lack of his contempt for for the court process, that he would be fined two hundred pounds or hundred pounds. David, he was he was fined more because of his con- his contempt for the court. Well, you know, he obviously obviously was unwise not 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 to turn up in court. But over the point is, you know, it's like, you know, why couldn't you just written to the guy and say, well, don't do it again? A slap wrist, Charles. Yeah, well, of course, we have been operating the Why Would You campaign since November 2010, and we've been engaging in a whole process of education, going into schools, putting posters up all over our, our bin lorries and, and the, the, the vehicles that run for the council, telling people that the, the fines will happen. We're now in a, in a position whereby, having done all that education, for those people who still determine that they will throw their litter in the street, allow their dogs to foul the pavements or flight it, they will be fined. Gentlemen, we have to it there. Thank you very much. The last voice you heard was Councillor Charles Royden, Deputy Mayor uh, in Bedford Council, and uh, David Atherton from the Freedom to Choose in Luton. I'll be honest, I'm kind of on Charles's side. I don't like littering. I don't like lit. Put it in a bin, for goodness sakes. Thank you, chaps. I've I've had too much tea and I need to go to the toilet. (laughs) So I'm sorry to break this to you, dear listener, but it's true. These 11 minutes of of the show are going to be pure hell for me, but I'm sure we'll get by. Don't forget, Jonathan is on at nine o'clock asking, do you still like the BBC? Uh, it's it's all over the shop, isn't it? And um, did you see the, the the announcement from George Entwistle on Saturday night? We watched it. BBC News weren't covering it particularly well, it has to be said. So we watched it on Sky, and there was a great bit before George Entwistle came out, and they showed the guy, uh, some guy, I've got no idea who he was, who came out and said what was going to happen. He was so grumpy. He was so grumpy. It was brilliant. He came and said, right. The Director General is going to come out and make it. No, be no questions. Someone's phone went off and he went, Can you turn that off, please? For f- and he almost swore. It was wonderful. Did he know he was being filmed? Let's track that man down. Just give him the job. He knows it. Did you see it? It was brilliant. Let's track him down. Give him the job of DG. He won't take any nonsense. Now, this is the story that's uh, he's going to run and run for a while, I think. Hertfordshire Fire and Rescue have been deluged with calls about a fire which can be seen burning from the M1 near Hemel Hempstead. It's a 20-foot-high pile of wood, a light in a recycling centre. Firefighters have contained the fire. They say it'll take up to a week to completely put it out. I'm not sure. I think it could take longer than that. Justin Dealey's been there all morning. Justin, what's the latest? Well, the latest is here, and that's, um, as you mentioned there, it could take days, if not weeks, to put this fire out. There's a big meeting which has taken place at 9 o'clock this morning. It's at Ponds Lane in St Albans, directly above the M1 Junction 8. The fire is still raging. There's 10,000 tonnes of recycled timber alight. And you heard me earlier on, I was actually on the site. The heat there is around 1,000 degrees. I have never known anything like it. Well, I have been speaking to Marlene Pincott. Now, Marlene lives around 100 yards away from this recycling plant. Well, Marlene, we're standing inside your home here. It's a beautiful home, but it's in darkness. You've got absolutely no power. You phone the Environment Agency time and time again to warn them this would happen. You weren't listened to, were you? No, we never are listened to in the local community because I know lots of us actually telephone and warn them of all the problems that are going to happen over the road, Mm. but it's just taken no notice of. So you must be absolutely furious because you knew this was going to happen and nobody listened to you. Yeah, I'm absolutely raging, but, you know, it's a bit silly to be raging after the fact. Something should have been done about it before. Our listeners are saying it's not the first time. There was a major fire here some years ago which took six months to put out. So you are somebody who lives opposite. Is that the truth? That's absolutely the truth. Um, and in fact, the fire wasn't put out. It was the fire chief that told my ex-husband that it had to. They had to wait and let it burn itself out. There was nothing they could do. Your house is now on the market. 
Will you be pleased to see the back of this place? Uh, not pleased to see the back of the house because I love the house, but I'll be pleased to see the back of all the problems that they've caused me over the road over the last 13 years. As I look to my right-hand side, you've got a beautiful garden. It's, um, it's an incredible location, this. What was it like when you had family parties in that back garden? It, when, it, when I've got no problems with them over the road, it's great, but uh, the biggest problem we're getting at the moment is very fine sawdust in the air because um, they don't water down the wood pile. Um, so then family barbecues, etc., have to be cancelled okay and a price on your house now that this is big news today everyone's talking about this this big fire because you can see it for miles around on the m1 as well are you worried now that you won't be able to sell your home uh yeah that's a great worry um but it's about time the environment agency actually excuse the expression pulled their finger out and did something about it i'm all in for recycling and looking after it but you've got to look after your local people as well not happy at all is she the words there of marlene pincott who lives just a matter of a hundred yards away from this site to my left hand side ian i can still see the flames what 25 30 foot of flames there it's going to take days if not weeks to put this out that poor lady let's just hope she hasn't got any viewings this year well you know if you, if you selling your house as i mentioned in that piece there it's it's all over twitter yeah. it's all over the news everyone knows about this what i would say though i thought the m1 this morning would have quite a few problems looking southbound here mm. you can see the signs smoke slow down 60 miles an hour there traffic is moving slightly heavier going northbound but but last night when i was on the m1 at around 6 15 everyone was just slowing down mm. to look at the fire this morning on the m1 things are moving uh, and uh, justin we, we've seen your the, the amazing pictures that you mm. took they're on the facebook page facebook.com forward slash uh, bbc 3cr I, i've never seen anything like it well the way to describe this i think you've summed it up well actually this morning when you said it's like a giant bonfire because that's exactly what it is now it's one thing looking at this fire from the m1 when you actually get close to it and i got very close to it earlier on a matter of about 10 yards away the heat was just incredible i sounded like a big girl yes. earlier on yes, but, uh, but of course uh, i haven't got the equipment no, like no. the firefighters have uh, the heat was incredible and th there's just mounds of wood absolutely everywhere our, our listeners this morning saying why was this allowed to happen exactly what the locals are saying so much wood here it was an accident waiting to happen uh, justin listen great work you've done a cracking job this morning thank you very much thank you in cheers mate there we go um if you want to see the pictures facebook.com forward slash bbc 3c i no doubt we'll be following this throughout the day on the station i'm sure roberto will, will pick this up and have a, a, a chat about it uh, and we'll probably be talking about it for the rest of the week as well now hey happy birthday to the uk singles chart 60 years old earlier on we spoke to a gentleman who has every single number one single I know, I know. And I even gave my... Now, when I say it's my, my first single... Oh, we're not doing that. We're, not, we're moving on. OK, we're moving on. Oh, OK, I just wanted to... Uh, you just want to censor me from talking about the monkeys. That's what it is. Shame on you, my production team. They get very sick of me talking about the monkeys. I'm very excited, by the way, because the monkeys are doing lots of concerts in the United States. I'm going to New York in a couple of weeks. I'm going to New York to see them. Oh, yes. Anyway, you missed me playing a proper record earlier on in the show. Maybe we'll talk about that at a later date. Um, oh, we're talking about the litter find. I do apologise. Charlie's in Hemel. Good morning, Charlie. Oh, good morning. You were nearly sidelined for a pretend TV pop group. Uh, you heard about <laughs> this, um, th this chap who was fined 200 quid in total for dropping yeah. a, a fag butt. W what do you make of that? Well, I think... I, I'm retired now, but I think if the council was giving me a uniform and a book of tickets, yeah. I could make them £1 million over the weekend. Blimey! How's that? Uh, well, I live not far from Jarman's Park in Hemel Hempstead. Yes, no, well. 
Ah, uh, you've got a big uh, fast food outlet up there. Yeah. Oh, those lovely burgers. Very, very few litter bins. Oh, really? And last thing at night, after everyone packs up at five o'clock, after they've all gone home, traffic wardens, uh, police officers, the rest of it, you can go up there and every two or three minutes there's rappers. Everywhere. Uh, you mean the food rappers, not the performance yeah. rappers? Is, no, that's disappointing. Because I know, I know um, a long time ago, and I'm assuming this is still the case, McDonald's were excellent at keeping the kind of the, the, the shop frontage very clear, and they would send out staff. Oh, the, oh, the shop fronts, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, it's, but it's all further down I'm the street, about, is it? Yeah, four or five hundred yards yeah, away. Yeah. When they finish the food, where do they put it? On the floor. <laughs> uh, listen, Charlie, thank you. I've got to move on because we're running out of time, and I want to squeeze in Andy if I can. Andy, what's your take on this? Uh, well, I'd just like to congratulate the uh, council, really, for taking the chapter court. And then also, I think if the guy had enough content not to turn up, he should have his fine doubled. And I think that's absolutely right. Why should somebody have to go around clearing up other people's rubbish? And I think it was absolutely um, appropriate that he got that fine. If, I, uh, um, if I'm honest, I, it, littering is one of those things that really does... It, it does annoy me, because it's so simple not to do it. Absolutely. Would you go, ever go up to anyone, Andy, in the street and say, excuse me, I think you dropped something there, mate? I did. I was in the school car park once when I first passed and tested, and a guy drove by, put a can of coke on the floor, so I followed him to his work and handed it to his boss. Oh, to his boss? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really? He thought I was, he thought I was going after him for another reason, and uh, this guy... This guy just walked into his work, and I walked in after him, and his boss happened to be stood down and said, he, he left this on the street. And from what I've heard, because he, he was in a work van, he got a, uh, a written warning for it as well. Oh, good for you. Good for you. I, 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 I don't, to be honest. I've got a friend, a friend of mine, his wife does, right, and she, they were sat in a car behind another car that was full of these, these very big, burly, rude boys. Naughty young gentlemen, they were. And the guy threw a packet of crisps out the window. And my friend's wife got out, went and picked it up, threw it back in the window and said, I think you dropped this. And my mate was just sat in the car going, oh, my God, please, please, please don't do this. It was awful. I couldn't do it. I wouldn't have the guts to do that. You never know. They might be carrying knives. Yeah, I've read it in the Daily Mail. They carry knives. Thank you to everyone who called in today. Thank you to Justin. Excellent work out and about there by the fire. Back tomorrow at six. Jonathan's up next. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Thank you, Ian.